Exacto. Ladies and gentlemen, we are tonight. We are going to witness the most anticipated match in the history of professional wrestling. And this is Jason is here. Dude, I, I swear to God, I'm not as big an asshole as it sounds like. Troy is here. Hey, I call them like I see them, all right? And Taz is here. I mean, Sal is here. It's Taz! Look at it this way. It's the first thing we've done together as a team. I grab my dick, you grab your dick. You work my arm, I work your arm. Same time. Same time. It's like jerking off together, but not gay. We're not touching dicks. Each other's dicks, anyway. I'm touching my dick. You're working it, and I'm loving it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Rundown Wrestling Podcast. It is episode 341, and we've got a gigantic fucking episode. And because we've got such a gigantic fucking episode, we need to make it even bigger, even longer, even more tazzy. Because joining us this week, the one, the only, Sal is here. That's right, I am. And joining me, as always, Jason is here. And this is our third, like, threesome in four weeks, so we're on a roll. There you go. There you go. And because we've got such a big fucking show, let's get right into this shit. So, this past weekend was, of course, WrestleMania weekend, but before the current stars took the stage, the stars of the future took things on and NXT TakeOver Nolens. And, of course, uh, we were going to be talking about each one of the matches, but also talking about our predictions that we went over last week. And eventually yeah, let's not talk to... about the predictions. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, let's not do that. Yeah, well, we, did have to, we do have to crown a winner, even though there's nothing at stake here, other than the, you know, title of being the prediction champion. Yeah, no, but no, we no, had... Nobody won that. Nobody? Nope. 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 Nobody here won that. We had the NXT North American Championship, a brand new title belt, uh, even though it looks like it came straight out of the 80s. <coughs> we had EC3, Killian Dane, Lars Sullivan, Rick O'Shea, Velveteen Dream, and eventual winner, Adam Colbebe. Yeah, it is. So, uh, of course, Adam Colbebe was picked by Adam to win, and he is the only person who picked Adam Colbebe to walk out of New Orleans, the new, new North American champion. But let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how awesome this fucking match was. What a great way to start this card. I was surprised they started with the ladder match, but in hindsight, it's really the only match they could have started with. And right off the bat, first thing Ricochet does in the WWE ring on TV is a springboard, um, not a moonsault, shooting star press to the outside onto everybody. Phenomenal. Yeah, and of course we had some huge fucking moves in this one. Uh, of course, at one point in time, Velveteen Dream got taken out, um, and uh, we, you know we got every single person in this match just really put on a great show, including the two big guys, Lars Sullivan and Killian Dane, who just beat the piss out of each other at, at a part at a certain point in this match as well. But of course, it was the undisputed era's, I I guess, leader, 
uh, Adam Cole, who pulled down the down the belt. Um, what do we think about Adam Cole as the very first champion? No. Uh, well, first off, I didn't expect. I, in retrospect, I'm sort of kicking myself for not seeing the storyline of having Adam Cole win twice on the same show. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, this was a five-star match. This was easily... There are a lot of people who have said that this is the best ladder match in the history of WWE. I have a hard time arguing with that. Um, we Sal mentioned Ricochet and, and didn't even mention the, the, the show stealer to me. Uh, getting knocked off the ladder, springboarding off the top rope into a moonsault, yes. <laughs> all going backwards. Um, the things this guy can do is uh, is just fucking out amazing. Um, and, and I think the story was put together beautifully. Everybody told their part. Everybody played a role. Everybody served a purpose. This was a beautiful, beautiful piece of storytelling, as much as you can get in a ladder match. Uh, they told stories within the story, and Adam Cole winning makes, makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, They're clearly trying to build up Undisputed Era now, as we're going to talk about later as well. Um, sort of surprised it took them this long to start building them up as a super fra- faction, uh, but they're doing it now. Uh, and Adam Cole is going to do a great job carrying that belt, a great representative for that first-time secondary championship. Uh, and there's a ton of different ways they can go coming out of this in terms of who we can feud with. Uh, and I'm absolutely there for it if we get Adam Cole and Ricochet going forward. Right. And, of course, currently the NXT tapings are occurring right now, so we have absolutely no idea where they're going to go with it. But sky's the limits on that one. All right, and then the next match on the card was the NXT Women's Championship match as Ember Moon defended against Shayna Baszler. And Shayna Baszler, <laughs> one arm and <laughs> only only with one arm still working, was able to defeat Ember Moon and become the new NXT Women's Champion. And only Sal picked Ember Moon to retain. <laughs> Fuck, fucking, fucking amazing. Um, better than their last match, and I really enjoyed their last match. This again, I keep going back to it, but the storytelling in this match, fucking off the charts. They played back into their previous match. They had Ember sort of learn from something and develop it, and she she hit that arm move on Baszler. Baszler slamming her own shoulder into the post to pop it back in. Like mm-hmm. if you didn't have the announcers, you might not have known what she was trying to do, what the story was. But it is still amazing to watch. Um, the way they got into the finish from reversal out of the um, eclipse, just everything about this was outstanding. Baszler is great as sort of that badass uh, heel champion. She's believable in the role. Uh, I'm looking forward to a great run from her with this title. And this was another just in the lexicon of great female matches at NXT TakeOvers. This is just another one you can add to the list. Yeah, you you hit every point. I mean that that visual and that audio of her slamming her shoulder back into place twice against the ring post, uh, something that will live on in this match when you go back and you rewatch it. I'll tell you this: I enjoyed the very part at the end when she couldn't hook her move with using both arms, so she grabbed the side of her hair. Yes, yep. That was insanity to me. To me, this match made Shayna Baszler. Mm-hmm. And Ember's obviously going on to do bigger or other things, we'll say. Mm-hmm. But um, could it, could Shayna come out of this match looking any more of a badass? And, and to that point, Sal, and this is the other thing that really stood out to me, really with the whole TakeOver show, um, 
they they paid attention to all the little details, all those little things like, oh, my arm is, is has been beaten. I have to pull the hair. That's a little detail you almost never see. Um, if somebody's arm's getting worked over, they almost always, if their move relates to the arm, they blow it off. And it's like, mm-hmm. Seth, and it's one of my constant criticisms of Seth Rollins. Oh, my knee is hurt. My knee is hurt. But I'm doing, you know, triple jump moonsaults and five star frog splashes and shit. Uh, exactly. But, well, more more on on forgetting to sell injuries and in, on WrestleMania. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think that's the the beauty to me and, and the attention to detail you get with NXT and particularly in that match. Oh, not to mention the fact that that this match had the callback to the last match where it was Ember Moon who walked out of it one armed, and this mm-hmm. time it was Baszler. And both times the person with the fucking injury wound up winning the t- winning the championship. So that's true. Um, that. You know that they yeah the NXT has always been really good about uh, um, actually referencing that they do have a past that mm-hmm. an episode last week actually happened mm-hmm. whereas WWE seems to make you want to forget that you know these two guys are feuding two weeks ago or I think you know, they just forget it on the main roster that that's very well possible too <laughs> uh, so yeah so the women went wound up putting on on a really good show. Um, but of course, I, I, it was. I think the biggest problem the women had is that they had to follow the ladder match. Cause right. I think I think if that match went on before the ladder match, we'd 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 almost view it even more um, incredibly than we do. Because, but simply, they were just put in that spot. Something had to go after that ladder match, and unfortunately for the ladies, it was them. Well, and and we're gonna we're gonna talk about it soon here. But uh, the same issue kind of happened in the Black Almas match too, with what, mm-hmm. with what followed it and what the, mm-hmm. they had to follow. And they had to follow the NXT Tag Team Championship as well as the Goldust Classic, <laughs> as the Undisputed Era this time Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly against the Authors of Pain and Dun Dict. And um, this one was a was a split decision as well as Jason and Sal thought that Dundick were going to win the championships, and me and Adam thought that the Undisputed Era were going to uh, retain. Now it's kind of weird to say retain when you've got a different guy in there, but um, of course the the big news on this one was as as Pete Dunn was just about to win the championships for Dunn Roderick, uh, Roderick Strong turned heel and joined the Undisputed Era. So, um, oh sorry, go ahead, Sal. This is the moment where I literally was like, son of a fucking bitch, because I should have seen we all should have seen this. Yeah. Given what Roddy Strong has been his history with the Undisputed Era leading into this in in his feud with Pete um, with Dunn, there's no reason why one of us couldn't have thought of this. But how beautiful they did it. Nobody even in that friggin audience knew that was coming. And when he turned on Dunn, the whole place was shocked. Yeah, it was beautiful. Um, again, and we talk. It's it's a recurring theme. Everything was told beautifully on this show. Um, the way they went through the whole thing, and then the fact that it was sort of like the undisputed era. This wasn't a grand scheme or a grand plan. This was a payoff from a storyline from months ago where they invited Roderick Strong to join the group. He turned them down, and then and this moment decided and and the way they played it was almost like he decided in the moment like listen i I don't want a team with this guy i want to be with these fucking guys uh and made the switch because they seemed to not know it was going on uh so that that was again just playing off something not forgetting things that have happened in the past and building on them in the future outstanding job by everybody involved and personally the way that the different ways they can go here and i'm personally hoping 
we're going Undisputed Era versus British Strong Style because that's been something I've wanted to see for a very, very long time. Um, but what I will say is I am very happy because I, and I've said it on the show many times, I've always thought Roddy is much better working as a heel. Uh, he's very vanilla as a face, and I think this could really just level this guy up. Not to mention the fact that uh, um, when you've got a mouthpiece like Adam Colbebe, Roddy is able to just go out there and do what he does best, and that's wrestle and put on a good show. He doesn't need to, you know, continue to get on the stick and everything like that because he's got, you know, because they've got their their technically leader. Um, now I'm I'm not sure yet. We don't have any confirmation on this on if they are freebirding this and Roddy is now a uh, team champion. Or... The WrestleMania Access event on Sunday after Takeover uh, saw the team of. Uh, Kyle O'Reilly and Roderick Strong defend the tag titles. There we go against okay. Mustache Mountain, who won a yeah. tournament, I guess. So yeah, so it it uh, it makes it an even bigger thing too, where it's like he ha- he had the opportunity to actually win the championship with Don, and instead chose to win it with different guys. So right. um, you know that that kind of adds a level to it as well. And obviously, you you saying that Mustache Mountain obviously win it. Yes, you can look at it as the undisputed era versus you know uh, Don. Uh, was it Trent and um, Trent, Trent Seven Bate. and Pitt Tyler yeah. Bate? Yeah, Tyler yeah. Bate, you yeah. you can that that is a, a great feud to have, honestly. So yeah, that's a great. In, I mean, it's a great six man match when you get there. Mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately, in, if you're looking for another NXT War Games, there it mm-hmm. is, right there in front of you. Right. Yeah. Not to mention the fact that uh, each one of those guys, you know, pairing off and doing one on one matches too. There's great fucking combinations all throughout that too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And Dunn has been getting a lot of babyface reactions. So the transition for him, I think, is easy. And I think he's their new guy. I don't know what exactly happened with Tyler Bate. I had heard different things about backstage politics. I think he and, got uh, gonorrhea from Liv Morgan. Is what well, it's, it's most likely the fact that it looks like Michael Sarah. <laughs> he, 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 fought, he swam in Enzo Amore's wake, so you do the math. Yeah. I'm just... yeah. But regardless, Pete Dunn is, <laughs> seems like he's, he's making that transition to a baby face. Yeah, very much so. What's um, up, Jeff? The fact that he gets overwhelming bruiserweight chance every time he comes out? Or the fact that he was teaming with Roderick Strong? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, the NXT Championship followed as Andrade Cien Almas with Azilian Vega took on Aleister Black. Now, all of us figured that Aleister Black was winning this one, uh, and surprise, he did. Uh, but of course, because it's Aleister Black he, and Andrade Cien Almas, they put on a fucking barn burner of a match. Um, which, but of course, we have the era of Black. NXT fades to black. I think was Mora's oh. thing, and that was first. Of, oh, by the way, if you guys haven't seen it, go online. There's a video clip I think from the producer's camera that shows the oh, announcers right during the show, <laughs> and you can see Mauro Ronaldo and how he reacts to everything. Even when he's off camera, as he's calling the match, he's jumping up and down like he's super fucking into it. And I, I, I'm there for that. I love that. Um, as far as this match, again, beautiful storytelling. Everything was great. Zelina was really, to me, the star of this match. Uh, she played her role perfectly. She was an, an, just an important part of everything they did in this Um and the timing was right. Everything was there. Nothing was off. Everything was perfect. Again, another sort of victim, as you said, Troy, of 
sort of just having to fall. Everything in, I mean, this card opened with one of the best matches of the year and closed with one of the best matches in the year. And I feel like everything in the middle just sort of gets overlooked as a result of that. And any other card, we're sitting here talking about how this is one of the greatest NXT championship matches we've seen. Um, mm. But this is two in a row for Almas, just really elevating his game as a main eventer uh, within the world of NXT. A little surprised we didn't see him later. We'll get to some of the call-ups as we, as we move on the show. But I, I still think that's going to be coming, whether it's after the next takeover or even next week as they start to put a little separation between uh, the call-ups. But... Um, he deserves it. He's there. He's ready. Uh, and this was just more proof of that. Now, we had gotten into a little discussion, Jason, about what match was going to close the show. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty determined and, and I would say stubborn to say that it had to be Alistair Black because it was going to be his crowning moment. Now, it was his crowning moment. By the, by the way, but... I, want, I want points for prediction at predicting the main event. So I should get another point for that. That still doesn't make you win, but okay, I'll give you another point. Well, I also want a point for uh, for Carmella cashing in because it was just a day later. It, it, nope. It's no, that one. no, I still can't do that one. And, and, no. and she did, and I did say Oscar wouldn't win the title, so I get half point for that. So I think by the time I'm done analyzing these scores, I, I win. I was the only person who picked Charlotte Flair as actually walking out of the championship, and I gave you credit for it. Whatever you can, you're not winning it. I'm sorry, you can you can do whatever you in, want. In my mind, I won. So all right, go ahead, Troy. Go ahead. Sal. I was the only person. I, I, this is this discussion's over. I won. Sal, go ahead. I, no, Alistair. No, no, the, the Troy. Troy. It's, it is Sal's turn. Sal has the floor. Do I have to mute you? I'm in charge of this call. Sal has the floor. Sal, what did you think about Alistair Black and Andrade Almas as I celebrate my win in predictions? I love how <laughs> we got to the Black Mass at the end. It was it was perfect. And as you mentioned, Selena Vega's involvement uh, really set the tone throughout the match. You gotta figure at some point they're gonna stick her in a ring with um with Can- uh, Mrs. Gargano over there, Candice but Candice <laughs> But um, yeah, she continues to be vital in the whole character of Cianomis. But it was Black's time, and I'm glad he won. I am. That's right. Go blacks, and the, the main event. So, oh, John, by the way, can I just can I just fast forward a second here, and we'll get into the, the main event in just a minute. But just in, allow yourself for a second to envision. Let's just say the next takeover being main evented by Alistair Black versus Tommaso Ciampa. Just envision that. Okay, I'm envisioning because <laughs> that's going to be amazing. Yeah. Speaking of Tommaso Ciampa, uh, Johnny Gargano whooped the shit out of him, and all of us picked Johnny Gargano to win it. Now, just because these last two matches were predictable uh, doesn't mean that they weren't amazing. Um, you know, sometimes, even though we kind of know the outcome of what's going to happen with them, it's still great to see how they get to that point. And the gargano Champa match, obviously, they just continued to, to bring up the past together, Different different incidents, and obviously the the ladies got in, or uh, uh, Candace got involved in this one as well. Um, but uh, but yeah, Jason, what did you think of the Gargano Champa match? Well, yeah, and as you mentioned, I uh, I this is exactly how I saw this going on my way to a predictions victory. Um, but this to me was outstanding. Uh, again, another just 
knockout performance by Johnny Gargano, and there's just nothing else you can say about it. And again, everything down to the last detail. And, and Sal, you and I had a little bit of a disagreement on this, but Tommaso walking out with no music, so the boos are so clear and deafening and stands out so much. Before anything happened, we had a fuck you, Ciampa, um, chant ringing out through the arena and the fact that there was no music and no video to distract you allowed you to focus a hundred percent on the atmosphere that was being created simply by him entering the arena and i thought that was amazing um some of the the more standout moments of course the the power bomb to the concrete floor where you just hear the sickening splat of his flesh hitting the concrete, immediately followed by the crowd giving him the "you deserved it" chant. Uh, <laughs> beautiful. Uh, the, if I had to be in any way critical of anything in this, and I have a really hard time doing it, it would only be that I, I, I think maybe there was a little bit too much hardcore stuff for me, or, or fit, like sort of foreign objects etc i could because i know how good these guys are just performing wrestling uh i think maybe i wanted to see a little bit more of that and a little less of the hardcore style stuff uh but i understand the story they told lent itself far more to the brutality um i loved all the false finishes like i said we all predicted johnny it was an incredibly predictable finish but there were multiple times i thought they were going with tomaso um when he hit Oh, uh, God, what's the name of the finisher? I forget what it's called. Project Ciampa. Off mm-hmm. the top rope. I I absolutely thought it was over there because how on earth do you kick out of that? But Johnny did. Um, just amazing. I, 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 two in a row, and Johnny Gargano has two of the match of the year candidates already, and it's, um, it's still early. So a couple things in response to your critique. Now the only uh, I had wa- I did go back and watch um, or rewatch the entrance as it were and and I do now tend to agree with your point that it was deafening without any music uh, the booze the fuck you champa um, my only critique was you know they had wasted a guy coming out with no music on the main roster with Dolph Ziggler. and that's where my mind went when I first saw the event live was like oh this is just like Dolph. Yeah, but this but, was a guy who was overdoing it. Exactly. Uh, and it didn't involve any record scratching. Now, um, I I do disagree with one point that you made, that they couldn't do the Cruiserweight Classic match that they had a couple years ago. This had to be violent. This had to make you cringe. This had to make you say, oh, shit. And that's exactly what they did with the level of violence they took it to. At one point, they go through a table, and Morrow gets all fucked up, and... The crowd starts chanting Mamma Mia, which I thought was yes. great. <laughs> yes. My no, only I... critique was the the use of the brace at the very end. It almost seemed like Champa tapped out like too quick. That nitpicky. Other than that, it was a fucking great well, match. Well, Sal, again, story. Follow the story here. Tommaso, this is his first match back after an ACL tear, and you took the supportive brace off of his knee. The whole point here was that 
he was wrenching on that bad leg like it was supposed yeah. to hurt more. That's that absolutely made sense that he tapped out that quick. As for the I wasn't even so much I, I guess maybe I said it wrong. I wasn't even talking about so much about the brutality. I was there for the brutality. I understood that. I just would have liked to see these guys do more stuff in the ring. There was a little too much at ringside stuff from for my taste with this. I think they could have I think they could have been as brutal but done it in the ring where they would have had more options, I guess would be my only the better way to say it. There you go. And my my only question really after this is, um, you know, where where they go from here? Because obviously now we've had this kind of blood feud going on for a while. Um, it doesn't really stand to reason that they're going to have another match between these two guys. Um, so you kind of have to have to question on where they kind of go from this. And well, obviously, you know, whatever feud they get into is instantly going to be compared to this feud. So right. Well, Tommaso went to Twitter and said something to the extent of you won't like where I go now or something like that. Um, I'm wondering if maybe they do some sort of physicality with Tommaso and Candice. That's that what I was thinking. To really sort of get him over as a huge asshole. And obviously she's got a history of working with men, so I don't think she'll be adverse to the idea. Uh, and oh, it would kind really... of like the person that you wanted to join in on our call today. Um... What's that? <laughs> Oh. History of working with men. Oh. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I um, I guess we'll see. But uh, uh, yeah, no spoilers right now. I don't have time to look at uh, what's going on with the, with the well, tapings. Well, that's good because I hate when you do that. So. Oh, but you love it when I do that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was NXT Takeover uh, New Orleans. Now let's let's just break this down overall because this is again, and it seems like we say this after everyone, but this is being called the greatest takeover of all time. Top to bottom, you look at this card, it's really hard to argue. But anybody have any feedback in that regard? So this takeover, as typical, five matches. Five matches, and they went pretty much three hours. I think they even went a little bit over 11. Yeah, longest takeover ever. And when you look at each match, you couldn't cut anything anywhere. Yeah. This was set up perfectly. Now, we had mentioned throughout this uh, tonight that the, their attention to detail is... is just mind staggering you know whether it was the elbow pad that um uh god roddy strong grabbed off of uh adam cole baby mm. you know whether it was um tomaso champa and johnny gagao sitting next to each other like they did in that takeover match i mean that uh cruiserweight classic match i think they did you know, it at the takeover right before the in chicago right before the turn too you're right you're so right. it was a throwback to that as well so now, all this detail that NXT puts into its show, I would love to sit here and say that's Triple H. He, he pays attention to detail, but it can't just be Triple H. I mean, I'm assuming there's a whole team of agents around him that are really doing this the old school way. Yeah, and I'm sure that's, a, again, obviously the thing I particularly enjoy about NXT as opposed to the main roster is it does have that old school feel. It's not campy. It's not hokey. It's personal rivalries. It's guys who want titles. It's, it really has that old school feel. And to your point, the longest takeover ever, about an hour longer, and at no point did it ever feel like it was dragging or moving. I, I was left wanting more, which is something that the main roster could take a notice of. Yeah, we'll get to that. I definitely put it over um, Philadelphia, uh, even though Philadelphia had a, an amazing main event. But the thing with Philadelphia was it was 
people weren't talking about the matches. They were talking about the Champa return after the match. Whereas this one, people are talking about the matches. So, well, I think after a, Philadelphia, the only thing anyone was talking about was was Gargano and Almas. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> this one, whereas this one here, yeah, obviously Gargano and and Ochampa are are the main thing. But there are also people obviously talking about Roddy Strong. There are people talking right. about Adam Cole baby winning the championship, and of course the the Basler and ember moon match too so yeah i think that uh, top to bottom this was uh, a much better show um i i still would like to see maybe a little bit better of a build for the nxt championship because um while i thought that the match was great yeah uh the the build up for for black almost i don't I, I think felt a little flat yeah we talked about that last week but so so we we're establishing it as a great takeover but let, let's talk about let's just compare those two johnny gargano matches gargano versus almas or gargano versus Ciampa. which one you got it's so hard to because this one was less about the technical wrestling whereas gargano and almas was more about the technical wrestling this one was much more about the story and i think and and to me personally storyline always wins out over anything else so that's so that's why i take the gargano champa match over gargano almas and i agree 100 percent for the same reason sal yeah same thing man i I think it's a credit to Johnny Gargano that we're literally comparing back-to-back takeover matches as which one was better because they were both so fucking good. Um, but it's, in some circles, you're already hearing comparisons between Gargano and HBK, and yeah, that's that's says a lot about Gargano if that's if that's what people are saying. Huh. Well, you know. As they say, all good things must come to an end. And after 28 minutes, we are now going to get to the negative portion of our show. <laughs> not entirely. <laughs> not not entirely. entirely. No, not a, not at all. I actually enjoyed uh, WrestleMania very much, but there were some things that could have been a little bit better. Before Starting. we See, start. I think, I, I think we're going to cut this card right in half in terms of... That's actually what I was going to say. Do you think in the future, down the line, if certain people take over the company... It might be a good idea to do WrestleMania like a festival, like they do at like these rock festivals where it's like two days and like you have like a headliner and then supporting okay. match on okay. each day. I hear this theory all the time, and allow me to say, that's fucking what they do. That's what they have right now. Friday is the first day of the festival. You get the Hall of Fame. Saturday is the second day of the festival. You get NXT TakeOver. And the main event, the main stage act of this festival is WrestleMania. Yeah, and it's the that's biggest. Why they call it, yeah, that's why they call it WrestleMania Weekend. Exactly. But the main stage, dude. Come on now. Ten hours for the people who went there at least. It sucks for the live crowd. That's why when you say when you ask me if I'll go to WrestleMania, I say no because it would suck to be in that crowd for me. I wouldn't want to be there, you know, stuck in that building for that long with that many people. That's just me. I don't enjoy that. But that's why this is a traveling crowd. It is still a hot ticket. There's still a lot of people that travel from other countries to go to it. Um, I wouldn't want to go to a Super Bowl either. Just I don't. I'm not a big fan of large crowds, and those are the biggest crowds you can be around. So. But no, I don't think we need to break it up into multiple days. So the Androphy the Giant Battle Royal kicked off WrestleMania. Uh, our good friend Adam picked Hukares, must be a Mexican wrestler, wasn't in the match. Uh, Sal picked Elias, wasn't in the match. Jason picked Big Show, wasn't in the match. I picked Ziggler, should have not been in the match maybe. Um, he was barely in the match. Like, wait, wait, Ziggler was in the match? Yeah, he was in there. Yep, he wasn't in there for very long though. Uh, but this one... 
uh, wound up actually having a storyline ending to it, and it didn't involve Rob Gronkowski. Uh, because as Matt Hardy was fixing to win, Bray Wyatt came in and just helped him win a little bit easier, I guess. Uh, no, but yeah. Double teamed. He was getting beat up by Corbin and Mojo, if I remember. Eh. Eh. So Bray kind of saved him. Wow. But Bray Wyatt got dipped into the lake of reincarnation and came out exactly the same, except for he did a face turn. Yay! Yeah, Yay. the thing I found weird is that I feel like the live crowd wasn't sure if Bray was entered in the match. Because they, they threw out Corbin and there was like a delay before they rang the bell and everybody went, oh, okay. Like, it was a little awkward. Um, to me, the biggest weirdness about this was there was not a single NXT representative in this match. Not one. Yeah, and considering that, that pretty much every Andrew for the Giant has had at least one NXT guy and um, at least one kind of surprise person. And yeah, there was there was nothing. This was just, here's, here's the rest of the guys that couldn't make it on the card. Um, but Matt Hardy winning, you know, he's the only guy who could probably do something with it, and he's already done it by, you know, proceeding to now talk to Andre the Giant's <laughs> yes. statue. Um, and Which this, makes this me statue. angry we didn't see that coming, because... Yeah. Um, and of course, this this has this this actually, like I said, had a storyline coming out of it, where now you've got Matt and Bray together. Uh, more on that in a little bit. Um, but I think we can all agree that that's we've already said too much about the Andro for the Giant Battle Royale. True. Great. Yeah, so moving on, uh, the Cruiserweight Championship was finally decided as Cedric Alexander took it home over Mustafa Ali. Sal, the only person who picked Mustafa Ali. Sal, uh, remind everyone why you were so wrong in this one. <laughs> Because Cedric's deserved that title for a long time. And as good of a job as they did building (laughs) Ali, it was still always going to be Cedric Alexander. You picked Mustafa Ali. I know. I was wrong. It happens, all right, Mr. Perfect? You you just said it was always going to be Cedric. (laughs) Well, if if you're Mr. Perfect, then I'm going to have to find a new co-host when you OD in a little bit. Um Yeah, this uh, this match was exactly kind of how you thought it was going to go. The two of them put on a great match. Uh, it was a pre-show, so sadly nobody actually saw it. Um, but uh, but yeah, so Cedric Alexander, the new Cruiserweight Champion. Now, I did not watch 205 Live, so I have no idea how he came off in his first um, first appearance since winning it. But um, Cedric is a good good champion, and we'll see what happens going forward. Well, allow me to be the, the lone voice of dissent here and say that I was a little disappointed in this one. Uh, Mustafa Ali's entrance was fucking awesome. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, go check it out. Uh, but I guess maybe I expected more out of this match. Maybe they were too limited, but I, I thought we were get a lot of the really great fast-paced high-flying, and there was a lot of mat-based stuff. It was a little slower than I thought it would be. I mean, all in all, it was perfectly good. I guess maybe I just expected more coming into it. And... Uh, I was a little surprised they were allowed to use the Spanish fly uh, that we'll talk about later and not only use it, but use it twice in the match. Uh, but other than that, it seemed like there was a lot of, uh, I don't know, it just it seemed underwhelming to me. I don't know. But that's Cedric. That's one of Cedric's signature moves. I mean, if anything, what is dangerous? the Spanish fly. He's done that a bunch of times. Since no, Mustafa Ali's done it a few times. It's not really something Cedric does regularly, I don't think. I feel bad for these guys because I thought they worked hard, but the crowd could kill us. 
Yeah, and, and it was certainly and, part of that. And, you know, then that sucks because it's the WWE, so they're going to want to see characters that they're invested in, and I don't blame them because when you have good storytelling and you build up good characters, it makes the match that much more interesting. But I don't really think, like you said, I don't think they did a bad job. It's just a good, it was a decent match. Yeah. Wikipedia lists the Spanish fly as one of Cedric Alexander's signature moves. So, okay. uh, must be doing it quite a bit. Well, the, the, the Mustafa Ali does it as well, frequently. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. All right, so, moving right along. The Fallopian 2 Battle Royale took place. And uh, this one was another one of the ones where, where none of us were able to pick the winner. I, I disagree. Moon. Shut up. I picked Ember Moon, who wasn't in the match. Uh, Adam picked Becky Lynch. Uh, Jason, you picked Bailey. Who won? You uh, were wrong! No, no, she won. Sal picked, Sal Bailey picked won. Sasha Banks. Uh, but it was Naomi who won, and this one actually had the NXT contingent in there. Yep. Uh, making their first debut on WWE TV, Bianca Belair, Dakota Kai, Kyrie Sane, Natalia's Pussy, Kavita <laughs> Devi, Peyton Royce, and Tenara Conti. Tenara Conti. Tanara Conti. Uh, they were all in this match. Only one of them actually were called up, but it was a great showing. And they actually had a little storyline in, in there where the NXT people were battling the was, WWE people for a while. Was, was Natalia's pussy called up? No. Uh, no. Right, back down. Oh. Um, yeah, but this this one had... Uh, boy, there were some issues with this one. Because, first of all, um, they missed a lot of the eliminations. Yeah. Uh, um, specifically, Becky Lynch all of a sudden was just outside. <laughs> How, uh, how about the like, fact oh. that they referred to it as the first ever women's WrestleMania Battle Royal when we had the that's Miss true. WrestleMania Battle Royal just a few years ago? Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. Well, we've had actually a couple of Battle Royals uh, um, for the women on WrestleMania, most of them terrible. Uh, but this one was maybe a little bit better than, than those other ones. But uh, the the odd thing was, obviously, like I said, there was a lot of, lot of missed um, eliminations. There were commercial breaks, and then we came back, and suddenly there was less people in the ring. Um, we also had some weird things like Becky Lynch yelling at uh, Kavita Devi that orange is my color, uh, Devi, which didn't make that much sense. Yes. Um, but uh, you know the the NXT chicks got uh, got a good chance to show off a little bit, eliminate some people. <laughs> can um, I just and, can I just yeah. say I found it fucking really funny that these women started a huge NXT chant and like Tenara Conti and Kavita Devi have been on like one episode of NXT. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was literally just like, hey, these are the these are our two foreign chicks uh, <laughs> that we can we can put in here. Uh, obviously, Kyrie Sane making her second um, battle royal appearance. So I guess it's not her first appearance. Um, it was a little strange to have Peyton Royce and not Billy Kay. Yeah, I thought that was weird too. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what was going on there um, because it, I would rather maybe you didn't have Peyton Royce in there considering what happens on on Tuesday. Um, but well, yeah, no, I, I thought uh, it was a good it was a good just kind of throw them off the scent, uh, yeah. along with Carmella being the first one eliminated in mm-hmm. very very quick fashion. Yeah, well, and of course with Carmella being the first one eliminated in quick fashion, I think it got a lot of people thinking we were getting a cash in. Yeah. Um, of course, Jason really really wanted that cash in. Um, but I, I got it. It was just a yeah. little bit delayed, the, but it still counts. This match. Yeah. This this match. Again, so Sasha Banks and Bailey obviously were the big story here, mm-hmm. and despite the fact that they whooped the shit out of each other last week, Bailey saved Sasha Banks at a certain point in the match, which didn't make a lot of sense, uh, only to eliminate her 
and win the full. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. Naomi was never eliminated in the match for some reason. So the winner of this. I, I don't recognize that. I, I'm pretty sure Naomi was eliminated. So not only did I get the winner right, but I nailed the finish too. Okay. Who eliminated Naomi? Nobody did. Naomi uh, Natalia's on. pussy. So, <laughs> so here That's again is is where the where where this this like really bad production happened on here because when when Becky Lynch was thrown out, that was when Naomi was laying on the floor. That was the first time we saw that Naomi was not in the ring anymore. So there was a lot of people, I think, that were like, oh, well, Naomi's out because they they had missed a bunch of eliminations at that point, not even talking about some of them. Um, and then all of a sudden she's on the outside. Becky Lynch then joins her. And then, yeah, Naomi comes back in and then eliminates Bailey. And it made no fucking sense. Yeah, it, uh, you've spent a month building towards Beck, Bailey and Sasha. You put them in rather than put them in a match. You put them in this stupid fucking thing. Um and then you get to the end where the payoff is there, and then for no fucking reason, to no end, with no benefit, you have Naomi throw him out. Because why? Makes no yeah. fucking sense. It only took all it did was serve to take away from your story. Now the only thing I will say is that you can make the case that the story you're going to tell, and maybe this is where they're going, is that Bailey and Sasha at some point will realize that they're so obsessed with each other that they're costing themselves. Um, but other than Ow. that, because That's not end up happening. they weren't paying attention to Naomi. They're yeah. so obsessed with each other that they're they're missing out on other opportunities. I mean, um, they probably weren't paying attention to Naomi because she was eliminated from the match. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, you just admitted she was eliminated, so Bailey won. So mark that one down. Give me the, a point for the that. Winner, the winner of the Fallopian Tube Championship spent like 90% of this match on the outside. I don't think she was in. That's a fucking heel move. Like, Yeah. It was it was something that the Miz did. Again, obviously, he didn't didn't wind up winning, but that was one of the things that he did. He kept bombing out to the outside. This one was just Naomi eventually got thrown underneath the ropes, and then just kind of took a nap for a little bit, and then remembered that there was a, a payday involved in this. Yeah, can Naomi we, sleeping. Can we also uh, can we also talk for a second about how um, Becky Lynch comes out to her music, then they mm-hmm. play generic music to bring everybody else out. Then Bailey and Sasha get their own entrances. Yeah, what the was fuck was that? Yeah, uh, there was a lot in this match that I just didn't understand. But yeah, that that was an odd one too. Um, and also, like, if you're going to have like the NXT contingent, why didn't you have them come out separate? Right. Like, to the NXT theme song, because then you'd be like, "Here's the WWE superstars. Oh, here's the NXT superstars." But instead, they just all came out, and I was like, "I'm like, oh look, there's Dakota. Oh look, there's fucking Bianca. Oh, there's Kyrie saying, what the fuck are they doing in here?" And it it was it was so odd, and just didn't seem to really serve them all that well. Um, last thing I'll say on the match is that the Riot family got a chance to shine a little bit in this one too. Um, they they got a couple of really good eliminations, and and you know, obviously Sarah Logan wound up being the last person. Eliminated, you know, other than Bailey. Just saying. Uh, so that was that was your uh, your Mountain Dew Kickstart show. <laughs> yeah, just a couple quick comments on the women's battle royal. You guys touched on pretty much everything, but I don't understand how you fucked this up. And it, 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 we 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 talk about the little details that NXT paid attention to. Well, who the fuck was booking this shit? Because you heard the crowd when Bailey grabbed Sasha and threw her over the top, right? They popped. And then the camera pans out and Naomi's standing there. And the entire arena is like, oh, fuck her. 
And then you know what? It even made you know it even was a detriment to Naomi because it just made her win seem like, well, that was bullshit. You were sitting on the outside for a half an hour, like you said. I didn't like it. I didn't like whoever booked it. They just fucked this up royally. Okay. All right. So uh, after after that kerfuffle, we decided to try to hit things on a good note as the Intercontinental Championship was defended as The Miz took on Finn Balor and Seth Rollins. Now, um, Seth Rollins came out to a um, Game of Thrones-inspired entrance. Which I uh, had no Miz... fucking clue what he was doing. but I didn't either, but the people I was watching with did. Oh, so. well, I, I got it because he's a huge Game of Thrones fan. Anyways, he's the Kingslayer. Um, and then The Miz came out with some weird fucking 3D graphics. Uh, and then Finn Balor came out and a bunch of gay people applauded him. So, um, <laughs> this, uh, that, there was a lot of times, and it's something that I know is a pet peeve for Jason as well, where the champion was not the last person to come out. Uh, this was one of them. And I thought, be, considering that Finn Balor was the last one to come out, that we were going to get the demon. And instead, we didn't. Um, but, uh, this and match actually. Some asshole who runs a wrestling. Page posted on Twitter something to the extent of, oh, no demon. We all we got is a bunch of homos. And fuck that guy. Yeah. Um, I'm, I have seen a lot of people kind of defend this and, and saying that creative is forcing this on Balor. And there was a creative member who actually said, uh, no, we have nothing We have nothing to do with people's entrances. That is 100% on the workers. So obviously this is Finn Balor trying to continue his Finn, or Balor club for everyone stuff. Um, but let's not get too far off course here. And go down that rabbit hole because um, we got Seth Rollins stomping the shit out of two motherfuckers at the same time. And uh, yeah, this uh, this match was one where we really didn't know how it was going to go. Um, obviously, Adam and Jason both picked The Miz. Me and Sal picked Finn Balor. None of us picked Seth Rollins, who wound up winning and becoming the last Grand Slam champion of the Shield. Um, no, Jason, I'm not going to allow you to get into that again. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so Seth Rollins wins the IC Championship. Uh, Sal, what are your feelings on the match? I thought it was a great opener. Um, I would say the right guy won in retrospect. And I like the fact that Miz, when he came out there, actually sent the Miz to the back. Uh, he's playing up his whole, I'm a new person because I just had a child roll um, like beautifully. Um, and the match had a lot of great spots in it. So, you know, sometimes triple threat matches can be, like, really clunky, but I thought this was done really well, and I thought, hey, great way to start off WrestleMania. Yeah, it was right. perfect, perfect opener. Got the crowd hot. Everything was great. Uh, can't complain. I thought everybody shined in this match. Um, I, I would have gone with Balor for the victory, but that's just me. Um but you know, if you're going to put the title on someone else, Seth is fine, I guess. They they just seem to be obsessed with their whole Grand Slam champion thing lately, and you know they're, they're going to do that. Mm-hmm. All right. So then uh, following that, we had the SmackDown Women's Championship match as Charlotte Flair defended against Asuka. Uh, this match saw a little color as uh, uh, Flair speared Asuka and apparently caught her arm underneath Asuka's clothing, and there was something sharp in there because she got a gigantic gash on the back of her arm and on her wrist, um, which, uh, uh, of course, got a little blood everywhere, um, but there will be more blood to come in this uh, this event. Uh, but Charlotte Flair 
uh, who got her leg kicked out from her leg and <laughs> continued to get her leg destroyed. One, of course, with the figure eight, not showing any damage at all. Uh, thankfully, she did sell the arm a little bit, though, because her arm was also getting taken out, and she did actually like lift up her arm a little bit at the end there. Um, but uh, Asuka's streak is dead, and Charlotte Flair got to cry on television yet again. Yeah, and and the way they did the cash-in with Carmella... We're not there was, yet. It's all It all counts as one thing. No, it doesn't. No, no, it totally it does. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to delete it because you can't talk about it anymore. We have a whole segment. We have a whole segment coming up later about fucking Carmella. There. Just talk about the match between Charlotte and Asuka. Uh, outstanding. Uh, as I think we all expected it would be. Again, made it slightly less special by the fact that they had him hook up at the Mixed Match Challenge, but we've, we've gone ad nauseum through that. Um, this, for what it was, was outstanding. The Spanish fly, amazing. We talk about attention to detail with NXT. Charlotte telling the story where she couldn't bridge up because of the one arm. Uh, everything worked. I was, And then they got me. I was shocked. I had no... I, like I said, I did not expect Asuka to walk out with the title, but I expected her to walk out with the streak intact, uh, and they didn't do that. And I always applaud them when they go completely opposite from what I expect, except maybe in another match we'll talk about later. Like the next one. Sal? First and foremost, credit to Charlotte's entrance, because that thing was fucking amazing. And I know it was a little uh, callback to what Triple H had did when Charlotte was one of his ring girls in that entrance back at WrestleMania 30, also in the Superdome. But I thought it was really well done. I have no idea who the fuck those dudes were with her. I've heard Riddick Moss and Tino Sabatelli, but I haven't heard that confirmed. And then the match was definitely probably, yeah, I would say the greatest women's match I've ever seen at WrestleMania. And that includes the triple threat that Charlotte had two years ago. And that includes last year's match. Uh, Charlotte was in the fatal four-way with Bailey and Sasha and Nia Jax. This match was amazing. When Asuka hit that suplex from the apron to the floor, the whole fucking Superdome cringed. Um, and everybody was shocked. When, when Asuka tapped, but I think it was the right moment. Um, if you're going to do it, you're going to end the streak. As we know, you probably should do it at WrestleMania. And uh, Charlotte came off looking like a boss. I don't know where Asuka goes. I'm sure she'll no, be no, fine. No, I'm sorry, that's someone else's gimmick. You're right. <laughs> Charlotte came off looking like the queen. There you go. Now, my only critique was at the end... Because after Asuka grabbed the microphone and said that Charlotte was ready for Asuka, they hugged, they embraced, there was this great moment. And you can't even let the music play out before a referee runs over to the side. To what the fuck? Was, yeah, this this I had such a problem with as well. Because it completely fucked over Charlotte's moment there by having this happen. Yeah, and it pissed me off because I'm like, you literally... All you had to do was wait like another minute and a half, and then you could have put the camera back out and had uh, a ref come out and talk to Cena before the next match. Why you had to do it at that second pisses me off. Right. Yeah, because you could have easily done it after the conclusion of this next match because the U.S. championship was won by Jinder Mahal. Uh, So um, I was the only one who picked Randy Orton to retain. That did not happen, but he did not lose. 
Um, I'll tell you who did lose, Rusev, who the rest of you motherfuckers chose. Um, and of course, this was, it, it seems as if this is WWE saying, uh, stop cheering for Rusev because we're going to release him soon because Jinder Mahal got the pinfall on Rusev, uh, in a match that I, I really didn't like. Um, all in all, <laughs> I thought that the match wasn't that good. Um, and then, and I don't have a problem with Jinder, but I think he's the wrong person to have won this championship here. It's funny because a couple months ago we were all sitting here saying that the gender push would make a ton of sense if they put the U.S. title on him mm-hmm. instead of the world title, and now they do that, and we're saying it's the wrong it's the wrong person to put the belt on. Um, I, I think the belt on gender is fine. I'm glad it's off of Randy because it's yeah. Randy's too big of a name for that title, uh, and Rusev's mm. had it three times, two three times already, and Rue just lost it, so. Jinder wants to carry it and do an anti-American gimmick while holding the U.S. title. That's fine. It makes a ton of sense. I have no issues with it. Um, we'll get into it later, but it's almost like WWE went, you know what? If you guys haven't figured out that we're burying Rusev yet, we're going to prove it to you. <laughs> right. I think the best part of this match was the entrances, That's the, and I guess that tells you all you need to know. Yeah. Which is a shame, because I always thought especially with his work in NXT, that Bobby Roode was going to be a big fucking deal on the main roster. Well, and he needs but he needs something more to work with. I mean... He needs to be a heel. He, I mean, he does I, need to be a heel, but you also need to put him in there with somebody with some charisma that he can play off of. Back, right. in, back in TNA, he was working with guys who had charisma, like James Storm, Kurt Angle, Bobby Lashley, all these guys who have presence and gravitas, and nobody in this... I, I guess Rusev does... But he's Rusev's playing the heel and Rude's playing the face, and they're sort of miscast in that role. Um, but everyone else is sort of a vacuum of charisma. And, and ironically enough, the closest person on the main roster that you could say reminds you of Bobby Rude is probably Randy Orton. Quiet mm-hmm. guy, lacks a little charisma, is technically great in the ring, but you know just doesn't have that thing that you that, that attracts you uh, and draws you in. And that's and you put those two guys in the same ring together in the same match, and there's going to be a vacuum of charisma in there. Yeah, it's weird because I feel at one point in his career, in his career, Randy was a little bit of a draw. Like when you think back to what he was doing in 2009 when he won the Royal Rumble, but he also punted Vince in the head like the same week, and there was all this this buzz around him. Um, and then, of course, when he started going with Legacy or when he was with the Authority, Randy Orton with the right people, I think, can be decent. I don't even blame Randy for being bored with this because he looked bored during the match. He looked like he was just going through the motions. But if that's what they're going to give him, what, what you know, well, that's he that's how to do? That's Randy Orton. That's how he always looks. That's true. Rand, Randy is one of those guys who needs to be motivated in order to do something good. Um, and there's there's not much to motivate him with, with right now because he clearly is not a fan of working with gender. Um, he doesn't seem to really care <laughs> well, about the U.S. championship. Sucks for him, then. I yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, like I said, this, this I thought was – once we got to the main card, we had two great matches, and this pile of steaming shit came on. Um, but thankfully, the next match wound up saving the momentum of this because Kurt Angle and Ronda Rousey did, in fact, as we all predicted, defeat Triple H and Stephanie McMahon. Now, um, we all had our hesitations heading into this match because obviously we were not sure how Ronda was going to do. We were not sure how 
this match was going to go down. Um, but this wound up being, I think, one of the, the really good matches on the card, and maybe one of the best matches. Not the best, but one of the best oh, matches I, on the card. I disagree. I thought it was the best match on the show. Oh, really? well, there you go. Um, I particularly liked... If, I've often found myself wondering uh, what Rowdy Roddy Piper would look like dressed as a sexy schoolgirl. Hey, there you go. And I got my answer. <laughs> so that was good. Yeah. Um, no, I thought this match was great. Uh, as soon as the entrances started, I sort of figured out we weren't getting Biker Taker later because they wouldn't mm-hmm. let Triple H roll out in a motorcycle if we were. Um, but no, everything about this was really good. I thought everything was timed well. I thought they, they really built to the heat of the Ronda Rousey hot tag. Um, it finally happened. She didn't hold up. She went right the fuck after Stephanie, like you would really believe. Um, and then just some of the little touches, things like at one point she looks down at Hunter on the floor and says, all right, I'm going to go back to beating up your wife now. Yeah. <laughs> and just yeah. little shit like that. That was so great. Um, that she sort of gave a death stare to Stephanie before she put her in that arm bar. And mm-hmm. Stephanie just with the hands locked and blocking the arm bar, who knew she was so accomplished, uh, at the <laughs> ultimate fighting. Uh, but no, I thought this was great. I thought they told story. I thought it was a great payoff. I thought the moves were executed beautifully. And allow me to say this, and this is a guy who catches a lot of shit, but we just put over NXT for how great that show was. We're sitting here talking about this match, and, and you, know, you know, you guys may not think it, but I, like I said, I think the best match of the show. And it was very, very clear through this match that the lengths that Triple H was willing to go to to get her over um, and the way he played ring general here and made sure everyone was in the right place at the right time. Um, I, I just tri- tip of the hat to Triple H. I think he had a really good weekend, and this was a huge part of it. When he yeah. wants to, there is nobody better than the game when it comes to laying out a match and preparing something like that. And he did. He got Ronda over immensely. How about Corey Graves, though, underrated in this match? Ronda finally gets the hot tag, and he goes, call the cops! That was great. Um, Stephanie played a role beautifully. Um, she was a bitch right till the end, and then at the very end, she's going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And Ronda yeah. goes, it's too late. Yeah, and she, then she snaps her arm. And, and for all the stuff we give the crap we give Stephanie for sort of emasculating the male talent. Um, when there, when an opportunity presents itself for her to show ass, she absolutely does. And she did it again in this match. Um, so hats off to her. She made Ronda yeah. look like a million bucks. Yeah. She, this was, this was something that we, we so seldom get from Stephanie, which is why I think it's more impactful was her just completely, like you said, showing ass to Ronda and then backing it up on Raw, too. She has not gotten her heat back in, in two days. And I don't and, expect her to. Yeah, and, and it doesn't seem like that's going to happen either. Um, yeah, I would say that we suddenly turned this into an intergender match as well, mm-hmm. which I was I was really pleased with. Um, you know, Triple H attempting to pedigree her, then attempting to powerbomb her, I thought was great. Um, obviously, Stephanie, you know, hitting Kurt and, and Ronda continuing to hit Triple H and Triple H hitting her. Uh, it This was... This was one of those one, those matches where you're like, this is how this company could go with this eventually, you know, where the women are good enough to take on the men. Um, you know, obviously, Stephanie, we all kind of considered was going to be the weak link, but they played to her strengths because she's not a wrestler. She, you know, but she was she continued to cheap shot throughout out the, the event, you know, kind of uh, Triple H grabbing Ronda and slamming her face into the ground was interesting as well. Um, 
I guess the the only thing for for me that was a little bit of a detriment was Ronda should probably rethink her ring gear because there was a lot of tugging and adjusting throughout the entire match. She just didn't seem comfortable in it. You say that like it's a bad thing. Yeah, I know, right? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm not saying it. Just was, it just was kind of distracting, and it was it was one of those yeah. things where it's like it's like yeah, maybe maybe rethink you know your ring gear going forward there because that that might you know make her a little bit more but less you know. It uh, may have been a self-conscious thing too, just yeah, like you know, true. who knows? Seventy-eight thousand yeah. people. Yeah, but she did. She did an amazing job. Um, I was. I loved the fact that we got a, an angle slam and a couple ankle locks from Angle. Mm-hmm. It, you know, he he did exactly, you know, what he needed to do. There was only a little bit of a misstep at the beginning of this match when Ronda got tagged in, and there was a weird kind of sequence between her and Stephanie that didn't work at first. Uh, and then Stephanie did a terrible job of taking a suplex where she just kind of like flew through the air instead of landing on her back. Yeah. Oh. And I was like, I'm like, I was like, no, nope, can't put that in Ronda. That was yeah. Stephanie not knowing how to yeah. sell what she was trying to do. Uh, but that. but after those two missteps, it was great the rest of the way. Yep, absolutely. And I, I will say this: credit to Kurt Angle because it's definitely the best he's looked since coming back in the WWE. And nobody's expecting the Kurt Angle that we used to get in 2005 or even 2010. But I thought. He was more than serviceable in his role. And how many times did this match get you where you thought, oh, shit, Triple H just hit a pedigree. Are they really going to end it like that? Because mm-hmm. it got me a couple times. Yeah. No, it was great. Yeah, there there definitely was. There was a couple of close uh, of, of close falls there that, that, yeah, definitely made you think, like, oh, geez, they're going to do it. But no, like, like I said, uh, we got the, the double. Um, we got to get a spot where – Obviously, Kurt and and Ronda had Triple H and Stephanie both in their finishers, and I love the fact that Triple H threw Kurt Angle into Ronda Rousey, and that was a hard fucking hit that he did on her. Um, but yeah, then obviously Stephanie at the end screaming for mercy and not getting any of it was a great way to show you know how ruthless Ronda can actually be. So, um, but then uh, we we decided to to go even more ruthless as the WWE SmackDown Tag Team Championships were on the line. As the Usos, the New Day, and the Bludgeon Brothers faced off, and the New Day came out with a bunch of midgets in short stack outfits, uh, who then proceeded to the worm, and they were throwing pancakes at everybody because that's what the New Day does. Um, and then this match did exactly what I was hoping it was going to, and that was have the Bludgeon Brothers destroy the fuck out of these two guys, these four guys, five five guys, five guys, burgers and fries. Uh, yeah, Bludgeon Brothers, five minute match completely uh decimated both guys and the whole time i was sitting there and i'm going i'm going you know they're beating the fuck out of them and this is where you're going to have like a trouble in paradise out of nowhere and the new day is going to win the championships but instead no the fucking super smash brothers got the belts in the in a fashion that they should have gotten in you know maybe two years ago when the usos had them uh but uh but i really enjoyed this match uh sal what'd you think of it you could tell it was cut for time, but I thought that even in the five minutes, they did what they needed to do. Um, the Bludgeon Brothers came off looking dominant. Um, I, I appreciated the fact that they bumped Xavier Woods, even though he wasn't in the match. Uh, I don't know about you guys. I'm kind of over the whole New Day entrance thing with the unicorns and the pancakes and the midgets. It's It screams a cartoon carnival that is kind of old at this point, but... Like I said, it was great to see Hopper and Rowan get those tag titles, and I hope they have a long run and they continue to be built as monsters. 
look, I, I had very high expectations for this match, given the quality and caliber of the guys in it. And to me, they booked it largely. And maybe it was cut for time, like I said. But I don't even know that that's the case, because you're talking about WWE Network. They can go as fucking long as they want. This isn't yeah. conventional pay-per-view. I didn't. Um, I didn't think it was cover time at all. I no. think this match was exactly how it was designed to be. It was designed I, to. Pull and over that's what cover. I don't like because they booked this as a squash, basically. And I think this match was capable of much more than what they gave us. Okay. Fair enough. Well, we'll we're gonna see a rematch pretty soon, so we'll, well, we'll see what happens uh, there. Two on two match. It's not gonna be a three. Yeah, that's true. Uh, because on SmackDown, you got to earn your rematches. You don't got rematch clauses. Um, so then, uh, after this match, uh, John Cena returned to the ring. And Cena was sitting there and waiting for the Undertaker. It wasn't happening. Hopped to the outside. The lights went out. And we got a guitar strum. And Elias came out. And Elias sang a little song. Go to John Cena back in the ring. Uh, then got bitched out and decimated and thrown out of the ring. Before The Undertaker showed up. Now, it was a 10-minute walk. 10 minutes for The Undertaker to walk from the back into the ring, take his hat off, have the lights go back on. And then he proceeded to have a 2-minute and 45-second match with John Cena. He spent three times as much time walking to the ring as he did wrestling a 16-time world champion. And while I see that Jason is furiously uh, probably tweeting out the fact that he's hoping that his Celtics are going to beat my Bucks in five, uh, we're going to go ahead and go to Sal and what he felt on the Undertaker Cena match. Oh, this is the part of the show where Jason kicks me off. Because I actually enjoyed this segment. And I'll tell you why. So a lot of what I view as you know as when i'm watching this stuff live is the crowd reaction and i felt that everybody involved had the crowd in the palm of their hands so to speak um when the lights went out the crowd went nuts and then when you found out it was elias the crowd booed mercilessly cena i thought played his role perfectly because even after he beat up elias he was looking around like that's it like what the fuck and then his music stopped playing he kind of went up to the top did his salute. You could tell he was disgusted. He starts walking up back up the ramp. His music stops, and the crowd reacts to his music stopping before he stops. And then I actually enjoyed the theatrical, you know, you focus the spotlight in the ring. There's the hat and the jacket. Lightning strikes it. The hat and the jacket are gone. Out comes the dead man. Now, if I'm the Undertaker, and Vince McMahon is begging me to work at WrestleMania, straight up begging me to do one last match. And I'm like, dude, I just had hip surgery, but I'll tell you what, I'll give you a three-minute squash. If Vince says, yeah, that's what I want to do, then that's on Vince. I have no problem the way it went down. I thought it was, for what it was, it was fine. So the thing I kept, I come out of this match asking myself is, is why? Why did we do this? Why did we do it like this? Why did we set it up this way? Why did we execute it? And ultimately, and at the end, why did we even bother? And I say that because, look, let, let's just, we've gone through the build and how I, I wasn't a fan of how they built it. So let's just, let's flat, fast forward. Let's talk about just what we saw on Sunday. Um, the Elias thing was fine, you know, uh, easily expected, but 
let's let I get irritated with this. So you come up on the ring, you've got the Undertaker hat and jacket on there. Okay, cool. That was a nice little touch. Then you hit it with the lightning, the cheesy, horrible lightning that only the people at home saw. But you hit it with the lightning. Perfect opportunity to highlight that the dead man gimmick is dead and bring out Biker Taker. Instead, because the Undertaker's all spoopy, the hat and trench coat magically transferred to the back onto the Undertaker, and his powers were returned. And then you come out and you have this match. And look, I will say this. I will say Taker was moving a lot better this year than he did last year. So hats off to him for that. However, if you're going to tell me that you're going to take two legends, put them in the ring in a match people have been clamoring for at WrestleMania, and give me three minutes of a squash, why the fuck are you going to bother? It's like that old expression, it's better to leave early than to be asked to get the fuck out. And it almost felt like it was... The Undertaker should have just left it off last year because I don't think this did anything to improve his uh, the memories of Taker at WrestleMania, at least not for me, um, because you set me up for this great match between two legends... And, you you know, you promised it's like, okay, so let's say this. Here's the best way I can say. So suppose you get a text from your wife, right? And your wife says, hey, honey, I got a special sex thing planned for you tonight. Boom. End of text. You walk around all fucking day and you're thinking, Jesus, fucking it's getting bigger in your head. It's like, okay, maybe it's a fucking I'm going to do butt stuff. Maybe it's going to be a threesome. I don't fucking know what it is. And then you get home and it's like, oh, we're going to do it with the lights on. And it's like, so yeah, you're getting the sex, but you built it up into being much more in your head than what you actually end up getting. So there's no way it's not a letdown. And that's what this was. It was a giant fuck. It was, it was sex with the lights on, man. You know what else was a letdown? His match with Roman last year. But at least. You know what else was a letdown? No. His match with Bray Wyatt. No, but this you, shit should have ended but, back at 30. But sure, I don't disagree with you, but. At least those matches had some storyline, some reason for happening, and you were the, the the reason this match was happening was because John Cena was sitting in the fucking crowd. That was the storyline for this fucking match. Well, the reason this match was happening is because Vince wanted it to happen. Well, whatever. And, that, did, you're talking uh, about. I'm talking about kayfabe. Right, but here, here's the thing: is that going into WrestleMania, I was wondering what are they going to do. Are they going to sit there? Is Taker going to show up and he's going to point at the WrestleMania 35 sign so they make us wait a whole nother year? Because I would have been pissed if that happened. And if he doesn't show up at all, I would have been pissed at that too. So what can you do? You're not going to have Don't fucking do it. Don't well, do yeah, it. I get Cause, that. Because if this... In, we had no choice. If this is the best you can deliver with this, then don't fucking bother. If you can't deliver a a match worthy of The Undertaker and John Cena, there's no reason to have the match. I don't disagree with you there. But the fact that we walked into WrestleMania with this is what we're going to do, this was the best outcome I thought they had. And by the way, that fucking kick was awful. It missed Cena by about three feet. I blame Cena on that one. You can blame it. It doesn't matter. It was a miscommunication. I don't know whose fault it was, but whatever. It was certainly, it looked awful is the point. Um, I hate it when mommy and daddy fight. (laughs) Troy, what were your thoughts on this? Sal's definitely the bitch in this relationship, I'm just saying. 
My thought is that every episode of ours should be named Butt Stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, my thoughts on this were uh, this was a colossal waste of time. Um, I didn't like the fact that we got the same old Undertaker because I thought that the gimmick was dead. Uh, I didn't like the fact that he spent three times as much time walking to the ring as he did in the match. Um, I, I like the fact that we're going to get a second Undertaker match this year. Um, but again, this, this match had zero fucking build to it because Cena just begged him to come out the entire time. And this is something that you do to a heel who thinks he's all, he's, he's big shit. You continue to have him call somebody out and say, Oh, I can beat you. I can beat you. And then lose in, in three minutes. You don't have John Cena lose for a match. That's meaningless for both of these guys. This wasn't putting over any talent. This wasn't burying any talent either, for that matter. This was just a, a a way to get people to, you know, to subscribe to the network because you might see the Undertaker and John Cena face off against each other. And I'm I'm with Jason on this one. This was gigantic letdown because while we while we know that because you, you were know, looking take, for butt stuff, I was looking for for a lot of butt stuff, and especially when Taker showed that he was in tremendous shape. I was even more disappointed because I was like the height that he got on that choke slam, the fucking the way he was moving on the ring. This should have been a 15 minute tremendous match. Mm-hmm. And instead we got three minutes. So and I, I totally get that. Of course, would I have preferred them to have a stuff? classic <laughs> classic butt stuff? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think he can judging on, you know, regardless of how good he looked. I doubt his cardio is where it is that we can get a 20-minute classic out of The Undertaker anymore. I mean, we're talking at this point, it's been 10 years since he fought Sean in what would many consider the match of his career. He hasn't had a good match in six years at WrestleMania. But they weren't even trying to put on a good match here. But was it, wouldn't you rather have this than what he did with Brock at 30 when it was a shit show for 15 minutes? No, because I still thought he had a chance of winning at at against Brock because it, despite despite the problems with that match that match it still had me thinking that this could go that it could go either way this one here where Undertaker just destroying John Cena I was like this is just him destroying John Cena yeah. like I didn't feel like John was going to win at all and I picked John to win you know because I thought that this was a way for them to have Taker kind of be like you know what you know it's time for me to pass the torch time for me to go out well let's do this one because this this whole thing was supposed to be like dream match against dream match against dream match you know the, pass that's, the that's torch to that so. young up and comer John Cena <laughs> well you know you know what I mean though kind of pa- kind of pass no, I get the, it. like the the veteran that that's going to show up every once in a while and everything like that and kind of make John Cena the new attraction at at WrestleMania and stuff like that but instead it was just like. We had where they continued to fucking continue. Cut, keep, they kept cutting away from the action in the ring to show John Cena sitting on chair, and kept talking about him throughout the entire fucking thing, which was distracting enough. They ruined Charlotte's moment by having a fucking referee come running out, and then John Cena run past her and her just looking like, I, I guess I'm just gonna walk to the back now, and all of it led into this. So, I don't know. But speaking of good butt stuff. Uh, we got Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon taking on Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Uh, every single one of us thought that Owens and Zayn were going to win and return to SmackDown Live, but instead, they. Uh, they I, I think to- you marked that down wrong. I'm pretty sure I said Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon were going to win. 
you so I'll, I'll i'll just i'll give myself a point for that tomorrow all right well i i also said that i thought that shane mcmahon was going to turn on dana bryan and you said that dana bryan was going to turn on shane mcmahon neither of that happened stop that i already know the fucking scores um <laughs> but uh, yeah um this match wound up being uh, incredibly good i thought um this match to me gives a, has a little bit of an edge over the ronda rousey one but mostly because it involves you know two of my favorite wrestlers um but knock it off i already know who you picked um <laughs> but yeah so daniel bryan was able to get back in, back into the ring um shane mcmahon was able to continue to show his normal shit that uh, that he's able to do in the ring and kevin owens <laughs> continued to scream that uh, this was Shane's fault that everything was going on. Uh, so um, while Jason continues to fuck around, uh, Sal, what'd you think of Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon taking or defeating Owens and Zane? I agree with you, Troy. This was match of the night for me. Um, for the simple fact of this was the only dream scenario in WrestleMania that played out the way everybody was hoping it was going to play out, which was Daniel Bryan returning to the ring and looking like he hadn't missed a step. He was phenomenal. Shane was phenomenal in his role. That coast-to-coast from the friggin' rope to to Sami Zayn was insane. And I didn't particularly like how they started the match with Daniel Bryan being taken out so quickly and then almost being stretched out because I thought it was too close to what they did at 30. But the fact that he never got on the stretcher, and when he finally did come in, the place erupted. So it worked. It was great to see Daniel Bryan come back. It was surprising to see them win. But then again, after what we saw on Raw, obviously it made sense to have Daniel Bryan win in his first match back at WrestleMania. All right, and uh, Jason? I am going to be the voice of dissent here because this was a bit of a problem for me. Um, start from the beginning. I think the the entrance was a great fucking moment. Um, easily the pop of the night for Daniel Bryan. Um, outstanding entrance. The whole thing was great. Then I think, to me, you lost me with the whole taking Daniel Bryan out for half the match spot. Um this whole crowd was there to see Daniel Bryan. After three fucking years, we don't need to tease that he's too fucking hurt to wrestle. We all knew he was coming back. It was a waste of a fucking spot. It was a waste of time that Daniel Bryan could have been in the ring doing something. I get that you wanted to build to that hot tag for Daniel Bryan, but you didn't fucking need it. We have already seen him get physical since he came back. The crowd wanted to see him. You took him away, and I thought—I never thought that—I don't think they ever got the crowd back to the same level they were during the entrances. I think it took away from it. I think you've got three of the best workers in the world in the ring, and the majority of the match was handled by Shane McMahon, mm-hmm. and that's a problem. That's bad booking for my money. Um, happy to see, and, and then. To, we had the great moment at the end with Daniel going out to Bree, obviously very emotional, um, and the finish was fine. I just think they, I, I sort of feel like they, they killed their own heat in this one. Yeah, and, and uh, during the match, Kevin Owens blew a kiss to Bree, which I loved. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, But, of course, we didn't know she was over there. We, th- I, Me and the person I was watching, was we thought that she was over there because at the beginning of the match, before the match, Dana Bryan did look over there 
and give her give somebody a nod. So we're like, well, I sure hope that's her. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was. Um, it, yeah, I mean, you, you can have different uh, different takes on it and everything of like that. But uh, but all in all, I thought it was a good match. Can't delete my score. That's not fun. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, moving right along there, Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> Nia Jax took on Alexa Bliss for the Raw Women's Championship. Yeah, probably. Um, and Nia Jax became your new Raw Women's Champion. Um, and she did it largely by um, just flattening Alexa Bliss into a pancake uh, that the New Day then came over, flipped, and then threw into the crowd. Um, yeah, so Alexa Bliss was able to get some offense in by trying to take out Nia Jax's gigantic thighs. Um, but at, at the end, it was Nia Jax hitting a, uh, not a top rope, a second rope Samoan drop for the victory. Jason, what did you think of uh, Nia Jax crying after she won the championship? <sighs> I have the same problems with this match I had going into it. First off, allow me to say I, I loved the taking out of Mickey James right off the bat. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of Nia's wardrobe. I don't think that was a great look on her. Um, I loved the Samoan drop off the top rope. I feel I like... What's that? Second, second rope. rope. Second rope, sorry. Uh, I feel like the crowd wasn't quite there for it. Um, again, you know, you get a decent reaction, but it didn't feel like they were all in on this match and hard to blame them. Again, coming off, coming down off the Daniel Bryan match, uh, tough placement for these ladies. They both worked hard. I just, again, I have a hard, pro- hard time with the woman you were pushing as this undefeatable monster just low a few months ago now having regular crying fits and being bullied by a girl half her size it's just a really hard sell for me uh it's hard it was hard for me for that reason to get emotionally invested in the story uh so to that end i I wasn't a fan of how where they went with it um but we'll see where naya goes from here let me tell you what was hard for me my penis let me tell you what else was hard for me um was Predicting Jonathan winners. Coachman, my Jonathan Coachman at the end of this match, um, just completely over the top, just yelling into the microphone for everybody who's ever been bullied or called fat or told they weren't good enough and blah blah or blah. Or accused of sexual sure. harassment at ESPN. Oh my god, <laughs> it was so fucking terrible. It was like, why are we? This is what we're doing now. We're trying to say that. Hey, look. We put a championship on a fat girl. That means that uh, that that we're a great company and that we're standing up for for kids that were bullied everywhere. This is a woman who, one, is beautiful, two, is a member of the Rock's family, <laughs> a so, model, a model. Yes, this is not this is not like some random Bertha Fay. This isn't Bertha yeah. Fay. I was going to say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is somebody who is incredibly incredibly attractive. Um, yes, I understand that she is is a plus size model, but she's a model, okay? And her winning a fucking kayfabe championship is not like her overcoming every every person that's ever fat shamed her in her life, okay? Um, and uh, Graves tried to put a stop to it, but Coachman could not be denied. He he was he was all fucking for this. Like this is a huge fucking moment. No, it's not. This this was a everyone was 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 off in the bathroom because they watched Dan O'Brien and they they held it in until after this one. Everyone was off in the bathroom during this match, um, or getting popcorn, uh, or like me, 
trying to see if Alexa Bliss's ass would fully come out of her jeans, but they did not. Um, I will say that I was a huge fan of uh, Corey Graves asking for someone to grab his shovel and get Mickey James out of there. I uh, thought that was a great, great line to begin with. Uh, but the match itself, you know, they, they, they tried to make Alexa seem, you know, like, like this wasn't just a giant squash match, but she never seemed like she was going to, going to win this. It always looked like Nia was going to win this one hands down. Boy, you guys. Speaking of hands down, that's where Troy spit. Never mind. Yep. That's true. Boy, you guys are being easy on them in this match. Because, Jason, I know you pointed it out on previous episodes. You take this match and you replace the participants with Bailey and Sasha Banks. And you spend a good two months building back what you wasted with Bailey when she came up from NXT. And this kind of the potential to be match of the night. Instead, we get a thrown together feud with Alexa and Nia that nobody gave a fuck about. And I'm sorry, I love Alexa. I think she's done a great job on that main roster. But this match was pointless. And yeah, great. Nia won the title. Finally. Nia hasn't had about, I don't know, 17 shots at the goddamn title since she's been in the WWE. This match did nothing for me, and it was a waste of time. All right. As we're running a little short on time, we're going to try to speed this up a little bit. Uh, AJ Styles was able to defeat Shinsuke Nakamura, meaning that both Royal Rumble winners came up short at WrestleMania. Um, plus might be plus no Asian champions. Yes, that's plus no Asian champions. Um, uh, AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura put on a really good match. Um, but, of course, the, the big thing we're talking about is that following the match, Shinsuke got down on one knee, proposed to AJ Styles, and then he, you know, grabbed his dick. So, <laughs> um, so Jason, what do you feel about um, uh, should Shinsuke take AJ's last name or should AJ take, take Shinsuke's? Ladies and gentlemen, WrestleMania has a dream match. <laughs> because this is the match everybody wanted to see, and I can't remember a match I was this anticipated for that fell this flat for me in a very long time. Um, I don't know if it was the agent. I don't know if it was just... It clearly wasn't following Nia Jackson, Alexa Bliss... Uh, it clearly wasn't being worried about the match that was going to follow them. Um, so I don't know what it was. Something didn't click here. This match just, you know, it, it felt like, the best way that I can describe it is it felt like just when I thought the match was about to really get going and take off, it was the finish of the match. Um, because when, when they did that sort of exchange into the Styles Clash, which, by the way, I thought was fucking awesome the way they got into it, and he hit the Styles Clash. I'm sitting there going, all right, here we go. Nakamura's going to kick out a two, and we're off to the races with this great finish. And, and it was just like three, and it's over. And I, I just felt unfulfilled. Um, it, it just fell flat for me. Now, the Shinsuke turn at the end was phenomenal, and we're going to get into more of him in just a little bit, but... If I'm judging just by what I saw at WrestleMania, I gotta mark this as a serious disappointment. We should have fucking known. 
because when AJ Styles was put into a match with Finn Balor a few months ago to substitute for Bray Wyatt, it was supposed to be a dream match. And it was a good match. It was by nowhere near a dream match. Now, for the amount of hype they put into this match, how did we not see that it was going to fall short? I don't know. Like what, said, what hype why? was that? What hype was that? There was barely no, any no, no. build. The fact that they go, hey, it's a dream match. We're not going to tell you why. We're not going to really talk about the interactions they've had in the past. These guys have never wrestled before, but it's a dream match with no fucking build doesn't make it a dream match. Well, I think the idea was, even if you go back to Money in the Bank, when, when those two were you know, face-to-face and the crowd was reacting to that, it was supposed to be a very highly anticipated match. They didn't do a good job building it, and that probably played into this match. I will say Shinsuke's entrance was fucking awesome. Oh, best entrance of the weekend, hands down. Loved, loved, uh, I think her name is Anita Strauss, Mm -hmm. the guitarist from Alice Cooper. Phenomenal fucking job. Uh, Shinsuke's entrance was great, and then AJ came out and made me think that maybe he needs new music. Because it's a a little bit lackluster. Um, I will give them credit for the finish, and that's the only thing that I'm thinking with these two, is that they didn't give everything because they're saving it. Oh, fuck that. You don't save anything at WrestleMania. Right, but you got to admit that the heel turn made this all of a sudden a lot more interesting. Sure, but if the fr- here's the thing. Don't tell me you're going to have two more matches and have the first one be underwhelming. True. Like, the first one needs to be great to make me interested in seeing this further. As much as I love these two guys... Based on that match, I'm not super pumped for seeing this again. I would rather they go to AJ and Daniel Bryan or even Daniel Bryan and Nakamura. I I just, I don't, based on what they've showed at WrestleMania, it's just okay. If you give me a rematch where Nakamura's playing the heel, I'm interested. I'm invested. Let's see where that goes. I'm, I'm interested in the feud, but I, and you can hate me all you want. I have never been impressed with a Shinsuke Nakamura WWE match. Sami Zayn at TakeOver Dallas? I was going to say, he said WWE, though. It's the yeah, same WWE. company. Okay, well, I've never been impressed with a Shinsuke Nakamura main roster match. Um, yes, there was there were two matches in NXT that I thought were really good, but other times I thought he was just kind of coasting in I, NXT. I thought his match with John Cena on SmackDown was really good. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. To to me, uh, it's maybe just the fact that everyone sucks this guy's dick, and I just I just don't always see it. I I enjoy Shinsuke um, to to an extent, but I just I just don't see what everyone else sees in him. I guess I I I like I love his entrance. I like a lot of things that he's doing now. I'm definitely more interested in him as a, as a heel now, as a face. Um, but in general, I didn't know that I didn't think that he had kind of earned this spot real quick uh the fact that he's fighting aj styles though aj styles who's had great matches with james fucking ellsworth i mean i think that's where a lot of the anticipation came was that aj styles is going to have a great match but but we say that but here's the thing nakamura balor we're starting to see a trend that maybe 
the AJ's matches with Roman Reigns were great. That that series of matches was really really good. Mm-hmm. His series his of matches, matches with Cena were great. His matches yep. with Cena were great. Outside of those, the rest of them have been meh. Yeah. Yeah, and Styles is another one of those guys that you know for the longest time in TNA I didn't like him, and I was I was excited to see what he was he was going to be able to do in WWE. Didn't like what they first did with him. Then his heel turn kind of turned me on to him. Um, I was a, a big fan of him when his with his feud with Cena and everything like that. And then, um, yeah, right now I actually wanted him to lose the championship because I wanted somebody else's champion. Um, because I'm a little bored with the AJ Styles run right now with a championship belt. And considering that, yeah, we had zero fucking build between him and Nakamura, other than them doing fucking beating up tag teams. It, yeah. I was I was ready for Shinsuke to win the championship and see what they're going to do with it. I'm now more ready to for Shinsuke to win the championship to see what they're going to do with it. Well, he went because, from uh, he went from knee to face yeah. to hand to dick. Yes. <laughs> yes. To dick to mouth. <laughs> All right. We could go on for hours and we already have. So let's talk about <laughs> something shit. that. Uh, <clears throat> I feel well, bad for the asshole that's got to edit this thing. Well, one person enjoyed this match, and that was Adam, but he's not here, so it doesn't matter. Because apparently, fuck take teams. Because yep. Braun Strowman came out, and a lot of us were kind of thinking that this was going to be um, like a big return. Uh, I have seen other people say that this is in line with Braun's character, that he wouldn't actually get a take team partner, that he would do something like this because he just wanted to fight Cesaro and Sheamus' own. Whatever. But that's not. This this whole thing just was ridiculous, and it was a gigantic fucking waste of time because Braun Strowman walked around the crowd for 20 minutes before he finally was figuring out where the hell John Cone, the referee's son, was, and he plucked Nicholas Cone from the fucking crowd, a 10-year-old kid, brought him up there, proceeded to have a match, tagged in this kid, the kid tagged right back out, and now, forever, we now have... The youngest WWE champion is a referee's kid at 10 years old. Not Randy Orton, not fucking Rene Dupree, you know, not not guys who were wrestling for a while or that. A fucking one night joke. And they turned the the, the Raw Tag Team Championships into a joke. And that's, I, I guess, my biggest issue here is. And we're, we're going to get into the, the ramifications of the tag team titles in a few minutes, but just on this match alone, I felt like, okay, so we, we were wasting Braun Strowman in this in this feud. I think we all sort of knew it going into it, but they had sort of built it a little bit. They, they had done a little back and forth with him in the bar, and, and so there was something to it there, and there was the added intrigue of, you know, who is his partner going to be, and maybe it, it, it's something that's impactful and somebody that goes on to do something, and maybe somebody that can go on a little run as a tag team and do something. It, it was none of that. It was it was a fucking choke match, and it made Cesaro and Sheamus look horrible. It was a waste of, of the most over guy in your company right now. Um, we'll talk about the tag titles later and what it means to, to them, but uh, it, it's just garbage. Um, it was there to be funny, and I guess that's fine. But you want to throw an Elias segment out there to be funny? Fine. When you're talking about the, like a tag team title, like how do you want those belts to have credibility? 
and I just I don't think you you did yourself any favors with this, and I don't really understand the logic behind doing it, except to get the the you know cheap pop in the building. Uh, I will say my favorite part of this was apparently uh, Minoru Suzuki and Kazuchika Okada were in the building to to watch uh, Shinsuke Nakamura's match, and apparently Minoru Suzuki, a bunch of people recognized, or maybe it was Tanahashi, I forget, one of the two, uh, a bunch of the crowd recognized him, and when Stroman was looking for a partner, they were all trying to point to him. Oh, jeez. So, so real, real quick, Sal, what do you feel of this? I'll give Braun credit, because Braun himself was entertaining, um, but what a letdown. Because even if you're not going to bring back somebody... And, and make it like a Bobby Lashley or make it like a Batista or whatever the rumors were, at the very least, if you're going to make it a joke, then maybe this was the spot that you should have used Elias. Because at least there's a little continuity in that. Going out in the crowd and grabbing some kid, and then when the kid actually did tag in, he tagged in and then tagged out, which was also pointless. You know, and then when they ended the storyline the next night, it's just the whole thing was a waste of one of the most over guys in your company for the past year. Why? You wanted to know, you said why with Taker? Why here? All right. Yeah. Nobody nobody fucking knows. Nobody knows why. And nobody also knows why this next match happened. The Universal Champion Brock Lesnar defeated Roman Reigns and Roman got what four moves? Altogether in this match, uh, Brock Lesnar, of course, did a bunch of suplexes. Um, Michael Cole lost count of how many suplexes it was at one point. Uh, uh, then Brock Lesnar hardways Roman Reigns, and and this this was like Eddie Guerrero levels of blood. And Brock Lesnar beats him with five F fives, and we six. have six. That was five. Six. Okay, whatever. Nobody fucking cares. Um. So Brock Lesnar retains the Universal Championship to lose it in two weeks when Roman Reigns takes him on at the greatest Barrel Rumble ever. Uh, Jason, you are quiet over there. What did you feel about the Lesnar-Reigns match? You can't year after year tell me that WrestleMania is the biggest event of the year and then just continue to do shit to build for other shows. Um if this is the the ultimate show of the year, this should be where everything closes. This shouldn't be used to build for a match in Saudi Arabia that's going to be on 4 p.m. on a Friday fucking afternoon or whatever it is. Um, I I just feel like this was we had told months and months of stories of Lesnar beats everybody with one F5. That's why we dominated Braun Strowman. That's why we dominated Samoa Joe. Um, we had been telling the story of Roman Reigns overcoming giant obstacles all year. And we get here, and Roman Reigns doesn't really get much offense, gets beat. Like you said, we can't have anyone blade, because that's unsafe, but we're going to fucking bust them open with you know fucking elbows to the face. Uh, but then we're going to have Roman take the title who lost the match clean in a fairly dominating fashion is going to get a rematch in Saudi Arabia in a steel cage for some fucking reason. Huh? This is a fail all around. 
Yeah, I agree. But uh, let's see what Sal has to say about it. As bad as this match was, the entire time I kept thinking, I can't fucking, well, at least, at least Roman's walking away with that belt. So I never have to fucking deal with this shit again. Because it's not Roman's fault. We've seen Roman have great matches. It, it's this constant for the past 18 months, two years, whatever it's been, of you get the same match when you get a Brock Lesnar match. To the point where they're chanting, this is awful during your main event of WrestleMania. And then Brock beats him. He doesn't beat him by whipping out the Kimura. You know, maybe he had to dig deep into his bag of treads because he breaks Roman's arm. No, he just gives him the upteenth F5. And that's how we're ending the night? Fucking kill me. All right. All right. So that does it for WrestleMania. So now we turn to a little thing that we like to call... The Perfect Ten! A ten! A ten! A fucking ten! And we're going to start things off uh, with continuing to talk a little bit about Roman Reigns and saying that, yes, he will get another shot at Brock Lesnar at the greatest Royal Rumble of all time. And this time it'll be in a steel cage. Now, of course, we did, you know, as I mentioned earlier, for whatever reason... Uh, if you are uh, a Raw superstar and you lose your title belt, you just get another title shot because The Miz has a rematch clause and Roman just got kind of granted this one. Um, and I guess Alexa Bliss will eventually? Like, not, not in Saudi Arabia. Not in Saudi Arabia, but uh, but maybe at Backlash. But they didn't really address that at all. Um, obviously, over on SmackDown, it, they did a bunch of qualifying matches to see who was going to get under the title shot uh but yeah you know i don't know that anything else can really be said of it i'm gonna go ahead and roll this one also into the fact that um the reason why lesnar is showing up in saudi arabia is because lesnar and Heyman both resigned with wwe uh, but a vastly different uh different contract is now lesnar is able to freely come and go as he pleases um, and doesn't need to ask any permission on what he's going to do. So stay tuned for that uh, Sable porn. And uh, and yeah, um, so we got more Brock Lesnar. But uh, thankfully, if you decide not to uh, watch the WWE Network at noon on a Friday, you won't have to see Brock Lesnar anymore. You will just, um, on Raw, magically, Roman Reigns will have the championship. So I, I hearken back to that impassioned promo that Paul Heyman cut months ago, weeks ago, whatever it was, with Roman Reigns, where he talked about how winning the championship, being the champion, means if your father is sick, you go out and perform at WrestleMania. And if your family's got a problem, you have to show up on Raw the next day because you're the champion. Uh, how did you guys like that Roman, uh, that uh, Brock Lesnar segment on Monday? Oh, I loved it. Spoiler, there wasn't fucking one. What? The next time That's we'll see Lesnar is in Saudi Arabia in two weeks, and it's just fucking awful. I'm going to ask you guys a question, because this has been going through my mind for the past couple of days. Yes, I would probably put it in your butt if you asked me to. All right, well, that's good to know. But other than that... He might do it even if you don't ask. That's, a good <laughs> that's point. true. Don't, would don't let you me hear be absolutely Hashtag forced anal. There you go. <laughs> would you be absolutely shocked if Brock retains in Saudi Arabia? Because no. at this point, I wouldn't be. No. 
I would, and, but but and see, we already have Joe challenging Roman at Backlash. Who the fuck says it's for the title? I, uh, well, it, it potentially could be because Joe might be the the IC champion at that point. So it could potentially be Roman Reigns going for the IC championship again. <sighs> I have to ask a question. Like that match at Mania wasn't that great between the two of them. I I feel like it would have been worse if they couldn't have gone out to the floor. And that's what we're setting up in Saudi Arabia. Yep. Yeah. We're uh, setting up that Brock Lesnar is going to chuck Roman Reigns over the top of the cage <laughs> and not realize that that's how I, you can I, win the match. So in defense of this decision, the only thing I will say in defense of this decision is that I have a feeling in Saudi Arabia you're going to get a much better reaction to Roman winning a championship than you would have at WrestleMania. Sure, but then like to your earlier point, don't tell me WrestleMania is the show of the year. Well, I, yeah, I said that, so yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's fucking bullshit. Oh, he's going to get a huge reaction to Saudi Arabia. So that that's what it's all about? Really? That, that's how okay. desperate he, you are? Okay, so he would have gotten a huge fucking reaction at WrestleMania had they built it correctly. Had they run with the it's Roman versus Vince and Vince's boy, they would have had it. They would have had him in the palm of their hands. Every time they've gone to the Vince versus Roman, it's worked. Roman's gotten over. For whatever reason, they did it for one week and then just fucking dropped it. I don't know. Ah, but if you heard Roman this Monday night, it seems like they're trying to do it again. Because he thinks there's some kind of conspiracy against him. Because it's the it's only almost thing too that's little, worked. too late. Let's let's uh let's put a pin in that bullshit. Let's talk about how awesome fucking Samoa Joe's promo was on Roman Reigns. Um, we'll we'll add that. We'll we'll take him off of the off of talking about their returns. And yeah, Samoa Joe showed up on Raw, although we already knew he was coming back because he's been booked in the Saudi Arabia uh, event for a past couple of days. But yeah, comes back out. And throws down a scathing fucking promo on Roman Reigns, talking about Roman Reigns throwing a tinfoil hat and saying that every time the big dog gets in the ring with the beast, the big dog gets his ass whipped. And, of course, also saying that once uh, once Brock Lesnar is done destroying the big dog, Joe is going to be there to choke his ass out. Jason, you've watched TNA for a number of years, correct? Yeah, I watch TNA every chance I get. Well, I meant the company. Oh, I hear they're hiring. Yeah, me too. I heard that too. <laughs> I'm surprised. Joe used to always be revered for his work, but I feel like his promos are actually even better at this point. Well, his promos were great in TNA too. Yeah, that's Not true. Not to this level. Yes, they were. No, they were. They he just had were. less of an audience. That's yeah. true. <laughs> no, his Joe's promo work been... has always been great. Yeah. Nah, he's been amazing. Every yeah, time he grabs a microphone, it's like must see, must watch. I actually, I actually think that uh, um, he stumbled a little bit when he first came on to the main roster, but now he's definitely back to the Samoa Joe that he was during his TNA Impact days. Um, but yeah, uh, this one, like I said, was just another, just another great. Uh, I mean, the guy can destroy you in the ring, but he can can destroy you on the mic as well. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Nothing more to say about it. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, then uh, we did find out, of course, that tag teams continue not to matter because we decided to, hey, fuck it, let's have a, a tag team eliminator. And so we had. Um, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. We got we got the precursor to this. Mm-hmm. 
is that we had to say goodbye. Oh, I'm sorry. To one of the greatest WrestleMania performers of all time, um, undefeated on the grandest stage of them all, mm-hmm. a streak that will probably never be beaten. It outshines The Undertaker, mm-hmm. uh, as we saw unfor- due to unfortunate and unforeseen circumstances, um, the forfeiture of the tag team titles due to the fact that Nicholas is unable to uh, compete. So we had to say goodbye to Nicholas. Yeah, so they decided to relinquish the belts because Nicholas has school in the morning. So, yeah. And again, so. shows you how seriously they take their tag team titles. Right, the, exactly. The, the gauntlet, whatever the fuck they're doing, they're calling it. I don't even care about that. To me, the bigger story is that you just made a fucking joke out of it. And then uh, to compound it, you had Kurt Angle point out, oh, you guys lost to a 10-year-old kid. It, it just it boggles my fucking mind how little they care about any credibility with their championships anymore. Well, it's uh, it's par for the course with them. But I will say they do have a chance to redeem themselves with some of the people in this Eliminator Challenge. Obviously the Revival, but now we've added AOP to the mix. And no, I'm yeah, interested to see uh, what they do. AOP's not, AOP's not yeah. in this. They're not, turn, they're not a part of this. No, no, they were not. No, nope. this this was this was the 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 club versus the revival. Right. And and they were then the winner of that was going to take on Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt or um, Titus Worldwide, whoever won that. The Heath Slater thing was a classic. I'm going to call out everybody in the back. And then, of course, we get the, the, the debut. No, they AOP is not a part of this at all. Oh, no, fucking. No, no, we are going to see The Bar versus Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt for the championships. <sighs> so we are going to continue to have makeshift teams instead of established talent like The Revival or The Club. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. So no, that's is. But uh, we we keep kind of touching on different things. So let's just get into uh, the really big fun fucking things, and let's talk about some of the debuts that we got on the Raw and SmackDown after Mania, starting with No Way Jose. Yeah. Um, no Way Jose came out, did a little conga line, took on a jobber, and won. Not much to say about it. Your kind of classic way to debut a guy is just to have him show up, beat a jobber and have the announcers put him over. Um, so that's what happened with, with, with him there. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, as as you brought up, uh, Heath Slater and Rhino came out and did another classic way to, de- to debut people where you have somebody call out anybody in the back and you get a brand new team coming out, a brand new person coming out. The Authors of Pain came out, squ- uh, beat two jobbers in the ring, uh, then fired their manager, and we're going to see what happens with those guys there. Um Nia Jax was put into a tag match against Mickey James and Alexa Bliss for whatever fucking reason, and she decided that her tag team partner is going to be somebody that she's never met, Amber Moon. So let's talk about the Raw debuts there. Uh, Sal, give your thoughts real quickly on, on all three of those ones. You know, No Way Jose, um, I'm not the biggest fan of No Way Jose. I understand why there's like a reason for him. Um, I hope the guy, nothing but the best. He's definitely got height. 
and he's got a little fire behind his punches. Uh, the gimmick reeks of, of the Adam Rosebuds, but it's all right. Maybe maybe it can work a little bit. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's left off of Backlash. In fact, I can almost guarantee it. Now, AOP was, was interesting. They're obviously a dominating team. It was a little surprising to see them immediately distance themselves from Paul Ellering. But Paul Ellering, at this point in his career, he's not going to go on the road. He's not going to be doing, you know, five or six dates a week. So, in retrospect, probably not that surprising. As far as Ember Moon, glad she's here. She's going to need to develop her character a little bit more to get over on Raw, I think. And Jason? Um, yeah, I, th- I thought there were some very interesting debuts in No Way Jose. Again, I... Again, Adam Rose is an apt comparison, but there have been a litany of people that we didn't think would get over on the main roster who ended up. So you never just really can tell where the uh, universe, as it as they call them, will go in terms of liking somebody. Maybe Jose lasts. Who knows? Um, AOP, I think, is going to be similar to Raw's version of the Bludgeon Brothers, um, which is fine. It's good to have them. Um, and uh, who, else, who else are we talking about? Ember. Ember. Yeah, interesting to have Ember on, on Raw, where they're already sort of loaded with storylines for the women. I don't know where she's going to slide in there. Um, we'll see. I have a little bit of a concern. You know, We'll see how the shuffle shakes things up a little bit. But right now, obviously, Bailey and Sasha are focal points. You've got Alexa going for her title with Nia. And, of course, you've got Asuka doing whatever Asuka's doing. Uh, so to introduce Ember to that brand was a bit of a surprise, but I think the shakeup may clear that up a little bit, too. Yeah, very much so. Uh, and Raw decided to also not only have a bunch of new people join their roster, but also um, a couple of returns. Well, one of them was one who's been out of the company for a while, but the other one was a return from injury as Jeff Hardy came out to help Finn and <laughs> to uh, to help Finn Balor and Seth Rollins uh, take on the Miztourage. And out of fucking nowhere, Bobby Lashley showed up on Raw as well. So, Jason, what do you feel about uh, Jeff Hardy's usage and where he goes from here, As well, and what do you think of Bobby Lashley returning well, to WWE? I'm pumped to see what they can do with Lashley. I'm curious to see sort of what his first feud is. It doesn't look like it's going to be Lesnar, as, as some people had reported, um, but I could very easily see sort of a cool program um, for Lashley, depending on who you want him to work with. Um, but Seth Rollins, The Miz, I think they'd all be – very good opponents for him. Um, when you're talking about Jeff Hardy, it's an interesting question because it looks like they're going back to the singles star, Jeff Hardy, and not not putting him on the team. Although, originally the plan in Saudi Arabia was the bar versus the broken Hardys. Clearly that's not happening. They've just replaced Jeff with... Oh, no, wait. They haven't officially done that yet because they haven't won this tournament yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, never mind. That didn't happen. Um, but I would have liked to see Jeff Hardy with his old music there, his old singles music. I always like that, uh, rather than just the same old generic Hardys. But they had a little interaction with him and Matt, and I thought it was interesting. And he sort of danced a little bit around being woken, if you will. Um, so I'm curious to see where they go with it. But I, I like, I love the potential of Jeff Hardy as a single star coming back to the uh, top of the card. Yeah, I feel the same. Uh, Jeff, way more than Matt, 
had a lot of single success in the WWE. And, you know, he, he had some really great matches. Uh, his match on Raw with The Undertaker for the Undisputed Championship was one of my favorite of all time. Uh, his program with Triple H and Edge and CM Punk. Uh, you know, I enjoyed a lot of Jeff's... Fuck CM uh, Punk. Of course. I enjoyed a lot of Jeff's, uh, you know, single matches. I would like to see him kind of go back and forth. Maybe he's, you know, Brother Nero a couple of times and makes some special appearances. But I think the company wants him as a single star. Now, as far as Bobby Lashley, it was great to see Lashley come back. God, it's been almost probably, what, eight, ten years since he's been with the WWE. Um, but I am interested to see where they go with Lashley. And he got a good reaction, so we'll see where it goes. Word. So on uh, on SmackDown, we got uh, number one contenders matches uh, for two separate right. belts. Are you saving that last debut to roll into the other topic, too? I have uh, there's there's a flow to it. Okay. That's gonna happen. I, I that's, figured. I'm, that's what I'm that's what I'm setting up there. Uh, yeah. So we got uh, a match or a three way match where Randy Orton was able to defeat Rusev Day and Bobby Roode, and he will take on Jinder Mahal. Uh, was that one at Backlash or was that at Greatest Royal Rumble of all time? I think it's at Backlash. That's Backlash, yes. Yes, that's Backlash, yep. Um, and then we had the Usos take on the New Day, and the Usos won, so they will take on the Bludgeon Brothers in a rematch to kind of see what's going on there. So, but that um, one's at Greatest Royal Rumble. Yes, that so one is at Greatest On Royal. SmackDown, you had two number one contenders matches for title shots at two different shows. Yeah, it was really fucking that. That's why I'm so confused as it is right now, too, because we are building towards essentially two events, but both of them are dual branded and only one of them. One of them, I thought, was not going to be cave was not going to be canon. And then now suddenly it is so because I thought the great the world's greatest or the greatest ta- world's greatest take team. The, the greatest Royal Rumble was just going to be like a beast with a yeast infection. But instead, it's going to actually be, I guess, an, an, a network special so uh, well, so, is, so to... is beast in the east and they did the nxt title change there so yeah well that but uh, but going into that i didn't think that that was going to be the case and this one here it's like okay i know now this is the case is that these this is actually a show that matters this isn't just a random event that we know nothing's going to change hands or nothing's going to happen um so Unless Sal has something to say about that. I mean, it's, it's, I don't understand why you do it. Obviously, Saudi Arabia is a big market that they wanted to get into, but you just make everything else less than. You make backlash less than because the whole focus is, is on this Saudi Arabia show. So just fucking dumb. All right. Great insight. Um, and then, uh, so, do are we really going to talk about the fucking Bullet Club shit? Oh, is this second it was the another big match from the weekend so yeah all right well you guys can go ahead and talk about cody versus kenny i'm Uh, gonna go jerk off (laughs) to cody or kenny both okay um yeah no i don't know sal did you catch this yet or i didn't okay oh guess jason's talking to himself man Fucking show prep on this show is top notch, guys. Um, yeah, excuse no. me. There was a lot of WWF wrestling this week, and yet I managed to watch all of it and still sneak in SuperCard of Honor. Um, so, in any event, uh, Ring of Honor did their SuperCard of Honor event this past week. And by the way, 
congrats to uh, our good friend, the Kingpin Brian Malonis from the WPAN, who made his Ring of Honor pay-per-view debut, I believe, this past Saturday, teaming with the Beer City Bruiser. So congrats to him. Uh, but on that show, the, ma- the major factor in where Ring of Honor failed, where NXT succeeded, was Ring of Honor didn't recognize the biggest match on their show and instead put this match on before the title match. Uh, the most anticipated match of the weekend for Ring of Honor was Cody Rhodes versus Kenny Omega. Uh, they put on a really good match. Uh, there was a little bit of goofiness to it that seems to go along with any Bullet Club involvement as they had uh, Barry the Business Bear. Uh, to replace Bernard, oh, is it Bernard the business bear? I don't know. They've had bears all over the place, guys in bear suits all over the place in this story. Um, but do you have Ambrose? No, 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 different bear. Um, Sami Zayn? Nope. You had uh, Brandy Rhodes taking uh, the V trigger knee right through a table on at ringside, uh, only to be saved by Flip Gordon. Continuing that storyline. Uh, eventually the Young Bucks running out and sort of teased, not being sure who they were going to superkick. They went to superkick Cody, Cody ducked, they superkicked Kenny, uh, Cody got the victory and began celebrating as though the Young Bucks did it on purpose to help him. Uh, there was a great follow-up on this week's episode of Being the Elite to this whole thing. Um, so it was ultimately, uh, to me, it was a success. It was, uh, there were some people who were back and forth about whether I go see NXT or I go see Supercard of Honor. Uh, those people who selected NXT made the right choice. Uh, no shade to Ring of Honor, but you compare those two side by side, and it's not even close in terms of the shows they put on. Uh, but hats off to these guys. They did work their ass off, and it was a really good match. Are they still uh-huh. playing up the fact that um, they don't know if the Young Bucks intended to hit Kenny? That's no. exactly what he just said. No, no. If you follow being the elite this week, uh, they followed it up with the Bucks going and, and basically apologizing to Kenny and saying, you know, we didn't mean to do that. And Kenny saying, dude, I'm, I'm done. We're not we're not Bullet Club. We're not friends. We're not anything. And that was sort of where they left it at. So. Oh, shit. All right. Moving right along. So on Raw, Paige, after a, a match... Um, decided to officially announce that she has to retire from wrestling. Um, all in all, the, the retirement speech, uh, to me, felt a little awkward. Um, but, you know, having to retire in front of, of a live crowd, having to give up something that you love to do, is not easy to do anyways. Um, but the, there was a silver lining to it because the next night, we got the announcement that the new SmackDown general manager was none other than Hulk Hogan. Yes. Um, so uh, instantly, for me, it was I, I I was of two minds of it. One, I was I was happy for Paige to be the new GM because that means that we are probably finally going to be moving away from a fucking authority storyline. Because I don't think that Paige is going to be used that way. Now, she might be, but I'm so fucking over authority figure storylines that I just want I just want, want the general manager to do what they're supposed to do. Make matches and have fun comedy segments in the back. Um, but then I was also kind of like, well, Paige just dumped her two chicks and nobody referenced it. Nobody talked about Absolution. All of a sudden, she just showed up on SmackDown. And she's like, what's up? It's me. And she was a face. See, I was of two minds of this, but in a different aspect. On the one hand, I really 
felt sad that Paige had to retire. I know, obviously, we all knew it. Um, she wasn't going to be cleared. Uh, to me, it sucks because this is a girl who had unlimited potential, not just in the ring, but as a character, as a mouthpiece, you know, uh, as a champion. And it, I feel like she fought so hard to get back from the year that was, you know, whether it was the shit she went through with Del Rio or the shit she went through with her neck injury. And her time when she returned was cut short uh, so quickly that it really fucking, it, it was just awful. But the other side of the coin, when she got named the SmackDown GM, I thought it was a great opportunity for her. And I don't know if it was by design, but I didn't even think of Absolution the whole fucking time. Yeah, and it's not on the list, but while we're discussing this, we can also shit on the fact that Del Rio got himself kicked out of and fired by Impact for no-showing their big event at WrestleCon over the weekend. So he continues to be a fucking stabilizing force in the world of professional wrestling. Um, yeah, no, I thought it was a little weird. The juxtaposition of how they did the announcement on Monday, like they just had a match, and then they're in the ring, and Paige basically just starts pouring her heart out after just being a heel for the, the managers. It was a, a heel manager for Absolution. It was a little strange the way they put it together. Um, I, it tugged on the heartstrings for sure. You felt the emotion. You felt the sadness. Um, and they did a good job of making it think, okay, well, this is the last time we're going to see Paige because she's clearly gone. Uh, oh, well, no, she's not. Uh, to me, the highlight, though, might have been the announcer. I, I want to say it was Corey uh, on SmackDown during the New Day's match who made reference to, oh, our, our general manager, Paige, already knows what the New Day can do as a, as a collective unit. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I don't know if it was unintentional, but <laughs> I laughed. You never know with him. Yeah, you never know with him. Um, but uh, Paige's first order of business was to set up our main event. Uh, first and last order of business, actually, because we never saw her again throughout the show. Um, but she set up a match. Hmm. I hope she gets better at this because this was not a great way to do it either. Because um, she said Daniel Bryan is going to face other uh, the crowd. Uh, I forget the first person that they, they Rusev. chose. Rusev Day, that's right. Um, then said Daniel Bryan is going to face and everyone chanted AJ Styles and then she said Daniel Bryan is going to face and everyone was like no that was it no we, we gave you the two people that we wanted and then finally announced that Daniel Bryan was going to face off against AJ Styles in the main event um, so then AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan put on a hell of a fucking match and right before the end of it Shinsuke Nakamura shows up and Shinsuke then put a knee to the back of Daniel Bryan's head, and then hands to dicks, yet again slammed AJ Styles right in his baby maker. Yeah, I know the highlight for Nakamura this week was the interview backstage. Yes, uh, yes. Because uh, Renee Young goes and sort of uh, confronts him and sort of aggressively confronts him about what he did at WrestleMania after the match, and... Uh, he says, I am very, very the clearest English we've heard Nakamura speak on the main roster. Uh, I'm very, very sorry, blah, blah, blah. And then she continues to press him, and then he just goes, sorry, I know speak English. And he walks off. And it was oh outstanding. God. It was outstanding work by Nakamura. Even, even before that line, when she asked him, 
he was like, I don't know what came over me. Yeah. I am so sorry. And she was like, Nakamura, that's disingenuous. And he was like, sorry, don't speak English. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Absolutely fucking perfect. I, I'm I'm instantly loving snarky asshole Shinsuke Nakamura um, because yeah it was it was great and then obviously for him to ruin a a, a great main event as well <clears throat> was was awesome but Daniel Bryan now has a win over the WWE champion yeah because he yeah. hit uh, he he hit Daniel made Bryan first contact with Daniel Bryan first yeah mm-hmm. um so yeah so. Uh, but the the thing that I wanted to talk about the most, which is kind of surprising considering that uh, that we had AJ Styles versus Daniel Bryan, was a debut and a uh, highlight of the show. But first, let's talk about the debut. So Charlotte comes out to thank everybody and you know talk about the fact that she's looking for what she's going to do next. When suddenly we got the debut of the, the Iconics. Double, I'm sorry, the Double Deconics. Yes, <laughs> Peyton Royce. And Billy Kay, you know, they they come walking out, and I would love it if they came out, and they would probably make me come, um, do their little kind of entrance dance. Uh, then they get on the mic, and at first I was like, okay, let's see where this goes. But they did an awesome job on this. Great first promo on the WWE television. Uh, they they just seamless and, and very natural sounding through the whole thing. They proceeded to do an impression of Charlotte, which uh, Peyton Royce, I thought, did a great job. Proceeded to not at all hide her accent or change her voice at all to do, do the impression. But uh, her impression of Charlotte was, thanks to everybody, thanks to Asuka, thanks to the air that is out there so that I can breathe, and blah, 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 blah. And then the iconic girls decided to beat the ever-loving piss out of Charlotte. So let's let's talk about the debut of Peyton Royce and Billy Kay on SmackDown. Outstanding. Um, it made me put the SmackDown on myself. Um, <laughs> yeah, no. I, if anyone who listens to the show, you know I've been a huge fan of these girls for a long, long time. Uh, I was one of the early adopters of Team Iconic. Uh, I'm thrilled to see them up there uh never got i thought the run they deserved in nxt and it looks like they're going to be programmed pretty heavily onto the main roster on smackdown as they're going right into the uh, storyline with the women's champion on the first night out uh good on them (laughs) you know about that credit to the segment in general because uh i think the crowd was anticipating that it was Peyton Royce and Billy Kay. Uh, interest, a little interesting note that they tweaked the name from the iconic duo, the iconic girls, to just the Iconics. It's fine. Nobody's going to lose any sleep over it. And uh, these girls did great. They did great on the beatdown on Charlotte. They did great on the microphone. It is fucking amazing to see them on the main roster. Yeah. So after after the beatdown, the Iconics began to walk up the ramp when suddenly F-A-B-U-L-O-U-S hits, and out comes Carmella. Now, originally, my first thought was, oh shit, the Iconics are not going to take out Carmella, and she's not going to be able to cash in again. But instead, they parted aside and let Carmella get into the ring. Well, she proceeded to grab Mike Chioda and pull him into the ring. And then what happened next was a little strange. But Carmella attempted to cash in, and Mike Kyoto apparently doesn't speak 
uh, Jersey girl because she didn't understand exactly what Carmela was saying to him. And for about 39 seconds, he continued to stall and be like, are you sure? Are you, are you sure? You're doing what now? What? You're doing, What's going on? What am I supposed to do with this? Um, but finally, he does hand it over. <clears throat> but at that point, it got me thinking, well, now they've wasted about 40 seconds of time. Charlotte's been able to recover. She's going to be able to d- take out Carmelo. The bell rings. Greg Hamilton proceeds to say that Carmela is cashing in her money in the bank contract. Carmela hits a boot and gets the one, two, three. And she is your new SmackDown Women's Champion. And apparently in defense of Kyoto, from what I read, he was not informed of this ahead of time. So he thought he was supposed to be playing into the, oh, we're going to do a fake cash-in mm-hmm. angle that they usually have him do. Uh, and Carmella kept screaming at him, no, no, do it, do it, do it. Yeah. And he thought it was just a gimmick. So it's not entirely his fault. It sounded like he wasn't really told what was going to happen. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, they, they did a perfect job. This this was probably one of the better cash-ins we've had because, again, we've had so many times that Carmella you know, wasn't able to cash in. We've had a couple of times already that we've heard that she was going to unsuccessfully cash in that we completely, I think all of us felt that, no, she's going to cash in here and she's going to fail. So the fact that she didn't, the fact that she actually successfully cashed in, um, not only keeps the gimmick alive, considering that Baron Corbin dropped the ball on that, uh, but also you know leads to some intrigue going forward here. For better or worse... You know, Kyoto not knowing that this was the moment they were actually doing the catch-in um, played into the fact that all of us and everybody in that arena were like, God damn it, Mike Kyoto, ring the fucking bell. Because, and we were all just like, come on, come on, come on, right there with her. Uh, please don't let her fail at this. And, and you're right, the 40 seconds that elapsed really made you think that Charlotte was just going to get up and kick her in the face. And instead... Carmella cashed in and cashed in successfully. Thank God, because it was getting to the point where I think all of us were like, wow, if they don't do this soon, it's it's going to be a complete waste of the first ever women's money in the bank winner. Right on. Jason, your thoughts on it? Uh, I loved it. I thought it was, I, I mean, I, I could see it coming, obviously. Uh, right down to the time when they sent the referees out to help Charlotte. I'm like, okay, well, now you got a referee out there, so that makes it even easier for her. Um, yeah, I thought it was great. I thought it was well done. I thought it was well-timed. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing where they go from there. My guess, and we'll get into it in the next segment, is that there was a reason they picked this particular week to get the belt off of Charlotte, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. There you go. Um, so yeah, so um, you also said that said that you might have picked up on a little bit of actual heat between Charlotte and Carmella it, at the end of the match. There felt at the end like some of the trash talking between the two is was sort of legit. I don't know. Maybe they were just doing a really good job selling, but Carmella seemed to go up the ramp like twice and come back down to scream at Charlotte a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, where the character, I would think, would have been self-absorbed in the fact that they, they took the title. I, I don't know. It, there seemed to be some real back and forth between the two. Maybe it was just really good workers working. I don't know. I just It sort of struck me as, as seeming to be a little bit legit. Yeah, Charlotte didn't exactly look like she had a scowl on her face. She almost had a... Well, and the kick, the kick 
Carmella delivered wasn't great either. So that could have right. been what was annoying Car- uh, Charlotte about it. Yeah, she almost had like this evil smirk on her face. And yeah, you, you're right. Whatever she was saying to her was either amazing sell job by Charlotte or she was legit pissed. Yeah, but we, uh, well, I mean, we'll see. Maybe we'll hear something else going on <laughs> there. Um, but of course, the the other big news and what's going to lead us into our final segment before we talk about what's going on in your area here was that the Superstar Shakeup is returning to us as uh, next week, that fucking early. Uh, we will have superstars from Raw and SmackDown trading places, maybe some guys from NXT coming up, and maybe some guys getting thrown over at, at 205 Live. Um, so uh, each one of us is going to go through and say five people from each brand that we want to see switch over. Um, now, me, I just did Raw and SmackDown. I don't care about 205 Live. Um, and I also didn't choose anybody from NXT. But these are the people that I feel that need, to, need, a, need a new brand. Um, and then we'll just kind of go down from there. Um, so me personally, I would like to see going over to SmackDown. I want to see Seth Rollins and the IC Championship go over to SmackDown, um, just because of the fact that Rollins, I think, eventually could drop that belt and be a main eventer over on SmackDown, considering he's been kind of lost in the shuffle on Raw. Um, I'd like to see Finn Balor and the Club join him over there, because I think that the Club is another one of those ones that could add something to um, the the tag team. Uh, gang over there, and Finn Balor obviously needs uh, a change of place, change of pace as well. Um, I also have Sasha Banks heading over to SmackDown, um, just because of the fact that I think they need a little bit of star power, and I'd like to see her uh, and Bailey kind of separate now because it doesn't seem like we're going to get that feud. Maybe we are. Either way, at this point, I don't care as much anymore. Um, I'd also like to see Sonya Deville go over to SmackDown just to get her away from Ronda because I think consider they both have MMA gimmicks. Uh, and Braun Strowman, because they don't seem to know what to do with him over on Raw. So I'd like to see him go over to SmackDown and see what could happen with him. Uh, and going to Raw, I'd like to see Jinder and that U.S. Championship go over there, because that we need to, need, need to switch championship belts. Uh, the Usos and Naomi, I'd like to see you go over to Raw, just because Usos seem to be the last team that hasn't really um, been on both shows kind of thing, and, and Naomi because they, we want to keep them all together. Uh, Becky Lynch needs to go over Raw because she's floundering on SmackDown. Uh, Baron Corbin, I'd like to see go over to Raw because he's been kind of a failure on SmackDown. I think that, you know, Raw could potentially do something with them. Uh, and Mike Kanellis, I'd like to see go over to Raw just because of the fact that they don't have as much of a mid-card as SmackDown does. And maybe with the three hours, he'd be able to actually get on the show. Uh, so Jason, take it away. Uh, I have going to SmackDown Asuka because I think we got, we're now looking at Ronda. We're now looking at you know, Ember Moon, I think we need to move a high-profile woman over to SmackDown, and Asuka would seem to fit the bill. Uh, I agree, Balor Club should go over. They can be a focal point of SmackDown and perhaps feud with another group coming up from NXT in the near future. Um, Elias, I think, would be, uh, he could be more of a focal point on SmackDown, maybe even a you know top-of-the-card kind of guy, and I think he would be sort of a guy maybe down the road that could even do some sort of a program for the secondary title. Uh, the Revival desperately need to move to SmackDown, where they actually allow tag teams to be um, a focal point on the show, because uh, I think they could they have big things they could do otherwise. Uh, I also agree Sasha Banks should move, because it's just time. It's time. She's hasn't had a chance to go over and be sort of the focal point of the women's division on SmackDown, and she could do that. Her and Asuka could have some great matches and great stories and i think that would be where they should do 
Uh, Becky Lynch, you know, you said it. She, she needs something. She needs to freshen up somehow, uh, and a move to Raw might help her. Usos, same deal. Um, tag team division on Raw needs some sort of established big name talent, uh, and there's no bigger name in the tag team division WWE than the Usos. So let's move them over. Daniel Bryan because it's Daniel Bryan. They want to get him on the big money show. He's he draws ratings. He draws eyeballs. They want him on the flagship show. That one to me is the easiest and most obvious one. Uh, Charlotte. And I say that only because I think there's a reason she dropped that belt. I think they want to move her over, and now that she doesn't have the belt, she can easily do that without it being an issue. Uh, Brizongo, and I say this one because I think a three-hour show maybe lends itself to finding more TV time for their their comedy-style backstage stuff where they really excel. So I think they would benefit from the move. I'm going to say, and, and I know you and Adam both had this, and we'll, we'll get into Adam's in a second, um, but... I don't think they're switching the secondary belts because they just moved them in the last shakeup. So I'd be surprised if they moved them back again. Fair enough. Um, and speaking of Adam, yeah, he's got going over to SmackDown, Seth Rollins. Uh, I don't know why he split him up, but uh, Luke Gallows, Carl Anderson, Finn Balor, and Sasha Banks. Uh, going to Raw, Jinder Mahal and the Singh Brothers. Well, that's, yep, pretty much exactly what I said. Dan O'Brien, Baron Corbin, Becky Lynch, and the Oozles. So, uh, way to be original. And Sal uh, couldn't Sal. be fucking bothered, so. No, I have a list. I just didn't add it to there because you guys had all that stuff on there already. Um, but it is very similar. I think a lot of people have already said Finn Balor. Uh, I just picked Finn Balor. I didn't really even include the club win. I just want to see Finn Balor get a fresh start. I'm going to, you know, bring Miz over as well. I think Miz on the show with Daniel Bryan, which I think he's going to stay at for the foreseeable future. Uh, Miz and Daniel Bryan is the money feud. Um, I said bring both girls of Absolution over uh, and Jeff Hardy to SmackDown as well as Cesaro. So I'm going to split up uh, the bar, see what Cesaro can give Cesaro another chance at a singles run. Uh, and then heading to Raw, I think you got to send Rusev with Aiden English. You know, have him do the whole Rusev Day thing over there. I think all four of us, including Adam, picked Becky Lynch. I think she's floundering on SmackDown. Uh, I said to send Bobby Roode and Baron Corbin and finally Xavier Woods. So, yeah, I'm going to split up the new day, and I'm going to give Woods a chance to the singles career. Yeah, I mean, that. That's uh, that's interesting. I mean, I think the new day for me has run its course as well, so I wouldn't wouldn't be opposed to breaking them up. Yeah, I um, think if but, you're going to separate somebody as a single star, though, it's going to be Biggie. Yeah, I, I was think so thinking as well. that. It's just, yeah, because it ain't going to be Kofi. <sighs> so that'll do it, and let's uh, let's go ahead and take a look at what's going on in the local independent dates. Jason, we are going to start this Saturday, April 14th with LPW as they present Mayhem at the Elks Hall in Clinton, Massachusetts. Doors open at 6.30 p.m. Live wrestling begins at 7.30. The show is headlined by the LPW Heavyweight Championship as the selfie-made man Vern Vicala with Jillian Lee takes on Scotty Slade. The LPW Women's Championship will be on the line when Adira takes on the Dinosaurs Queen Tara Calloway. The LPW Tag Team Champion, one half of the LPW Tag Team Champions, Christian Casanova takes on Anthony Stone with Alicia Edwards. Jocelyn takes on Alicia Edwards. Tyler Nitro versus Randy Sean. 
the Maine State Posse versus the Bitter Club. Sweat Boy Christopher James with Danica takes on King Leon the Sixth, and we have a special guest appearance and autograph session by former SmackDown announcer Matt Stryker, hosted by Connor Promotions. Tickets are on sale online at LuckyProWrestling.com or at the One Stop Shop. In Clinton, Massachusetts, that is LPW Mayhem this Saturday night, April 14th. All right, and ICW returns to the La Pica Lounge on Thursday, April 19th for the 420 Classic. Doors open at 6.30 p.m., bell time is 7. Ringside is sold out. Second row and general mission are $15 each. We'll have a special attraction match as attraction match as Colt Boom Boom Cabana takes on Marman Mario Andrew Crivello with Dina Adiva, Dana Adiva, sorry. The ICW World Title will be on the line as the Greek franchise GQ Giannis takes on Insane Chase McCoy. The ICW Midwest Title Gauntlet will take place as the Fabled One Aesop Mitchell takes on TW3, Sierra, Rock King, Mason, and Captain Spicoli. And the ICW Tag Team titles will be on the line as Shoots and Wanderers, Scott Marciano and A.C. Riley, with Jason J. Take on the Holy Players, Jason Cash and Sean Priest. We'll also have a six-man Tag Team Anything Goes match as, oops, I almost lost it, Special Forces, Corporal Robinson, Garrison Creed, and Blazing Benjamin take on Jarrett Jacks, James Roadhouse, and Hot Topic, Tyler Baggins. There will be a Wicked Wisconsin Death Match, and the winner gets into the Insane Eight, whatever that is, as Pitstain takes on the high-class villain Wolf Foley with Rocking. And a six-man tag match, tag team grudge match as Straight Hatred, Blackwell, Cato, and Pitbull Zach McGuire take on Dysfunction, Jacob Hoffman, and the Milwaukee Mauler. Plus, the pre-show match at 645 featuring the debut of the Turkish bear Oso Turco. And Sal, I didn't want you to feel left out. So I found you <laughs> a 100% real card to read. Hood Slam returns to the Oakland Metro Opera House on 420 for some mid-month mayhem. 21, 21 and up, $20 cover. Don't bring your fucking kids. At Hood that Slam. 100% is on, is on their website. At Hood Slam on everything social, birdswillfall.com. Watch live on Twitch. It so happens that this year's Earth Day lands on a weekend. We would hate to miss such an amazing opportunity to join together with our tender buds. Hosted by Brosive Joe Brody. And with music from the Hood Slam Band, the Metro will pour you liquor for money while we perform in a wrestling ring. It's kind of the best thing to happen to the world. Featuring the Hood Slammers in all their glory, you will also see, you will also see in some form or shape Katrina Lay, the return of displayed labor sideshows Cat Sweet, a Smoklahoma Iron Lung Deathmatch. More details to come. Stay tuned, true believers. It's going to be a spectacle. Awesome read. All right. It's going to be a spectacle. Nice. Brucey to Wrestling returns to the Elks Lodge in Waukesha, Wisconsin on Saturday, April 21st with Spring Slamboree. Bell time is 7.30. Doors open at 6.45. Tickets are $20 ringside. Advance $16 using PayPal on BruceCityWrestling1.com. $18 at the door. And kids 10 and under are just $10. Already signed, the Bruce City Wrestling World Heavyweight Champion Tokyo Monster Kahagas with Kevin Sullivan takes on high-octane Onyx Andretti. Funny Bone and Blue, and Blue Phoenix Vanessa Azor will take on Evil Dysfunction and Evil Sierra. The Bruce City Wrestling Heritage Champion, the Midwest Slayer Stacy Shadows, takes on Tess Valentine. Roadhouse James Vincent will face Brandon Blaze. Sean Priest takes on Wanderer Alex Riley. 
I don't know if that's the same one or not. And, of course, the card is always subject to change. More Fandemonium matches announced soon. Go to BruceCityWrestling1.com or follow them on Twitter at BCW1. And Friday, April 27th, Wisconsin Pro Wrestling is live at the rendezvous of Luxembourg. Come on and watch all your favorite WPW wrestlers presented by Luxembourg Milling. Doors open at 6.30 p.m. Show starts at 7. Come out and support the Door County Destroyers. And there are no matches yet announced, but scheduled to appear as the WPW Tag Team Champions, the Players Club. The notorious one, Adam Grace, Young Money Colin Brooks, Stacey Shadows, Melanie Cruz, Joey Jet Avalon, Gorgeous Jordy Lee, and many more. Elk Mania Promotions presents... Elks on fire! A Nightmare on Bow Street, a family-friendly pro wrestling fundraiser for the Northeast Animal Shelter. This event will take place on Saturday, April 28th at the Beverly Salem Lodge of Elks, 39 Bow Street, Beverly, Massachusetts. Doors open at 6.30 with a bell time of 7 p.m. If you haven't purchased your tickets yet, they are available at Silver Moon Comics and Collectibles in Salem and Paper Asylum in Beverly. Tickets are $10 in advance, $12 at the door. Tickets can also be purchased in advance online for $12. Go to squareup.com slash store slash proving dash ground dash brand. Already announced, all-star champion the maniacal Jack Kruger defends his title against everyone's favorite metahuman supervillain, Insane Dick Lane. Bay State champion Derek Simonetti will defend the title against Alexander Lee. Also, Derek Conway chases vengeance when he takes on the man who stabbed him in the back at Elkmania 5, his former partner, Kevin Giles. The Middlesex Express with Chad Epic defends the New England Tag Team Championships against the main state posse. The Widow Belmont will collide with Delilah Hayden in a woman's showcase match. Tough Talk Tony Spencer will take on Theodore J. Lithington to determine... Who has the biggest dick in the room? And more! <laughs> that sounds like an awesome match. Jason? Uh, Liberty States Wrestling returns on Saturday, May 12th, with our season finale, Respect, live from the John McCarthy Elementary School in Peabody, Massachusetts. Already signed for that show, a tag team grudge match, as the team of fabulously unequaled the unequaled one, Todd Sopel, and fabulous Johnny Vegas try to regain their Liberty States Wrestling Tag Team titles from Brett Domino and D.L. Hurst in a two-out-of-three falls match. More matches will be announced soon. Tickets are $10 at the door, and the doors open at 6.30. Wrestling starts at 7. This is Liberty States' final show until September. That does it for the rundown for this Thursday, April 12th. 2018, it has been three days since Asuka lost for just the third time since joining <laughs> WWE. Like us on Twitter at Rundown Podcast. Go to Facebook.com slash Rundown Wrestling and like us there. Email the show, rundownwrestling at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail, 617-863-6967. That's 61-RUNDOWN-7. We are also on Patreon. Head over to Patreon.com slash Rundown Wrestling to become a patron. Currently, there are two reward levels, the Rundowner. Which for five dollars a month grants you one patron the episode of the rundown, if Adam ever actually does it. And Rundown Mania, which for ten dollars a month grants you a guest hosting spot on any of our rundown shows. Also, all patrons will receive early access to shows on the rundown feed. If you are a fan of horror, check out the Slash Sanitarium. Listen to our friends the Kingpin Brian Malonis and Mike Crockett on the wrestling podcast about nothing, with new podcasts every Monday. Go to Facebook.com slash the WPAN or the WPAN.com. 
Check out our friend Justin Michaels on his show, Yes, and Maltz, on Tough TV. You can go to toughtv.com to stream it live. Subscribe to the Rundown Wrestling Podcast to hear our other shows. NXT Revisited, the Rundown Sit-Down, WrestleMania Salvation, Glow Stick, and the Nitromania Podcast. Follow our host on Twitter at jstewart0920, at rockstartroy, at WrestleManiaTaz, at the Effect. Or at Johnny Analog. And thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to Sal. Thanks to Jason. Thank you very much. I'm very grateful that this episode is over. No offense, guys. Yeah. Don't don't be mad at me, man. I, I'm I'm like Ron Burgundy, man. I just read up what the teleprompter says. Uh, and thanks to Jason for our theme song. And thanks for staying up late and editing this. Uh, yeah, now the fun begins. Mm-hmm. Next week, we bring you the Superstar Shakeup Review. Recap. Same thing. Is it, yeah, well, I suppose it's the same thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's a recap, but it's also a review. Because we, we talk about it, what we like and don't like. We talk about the fact that we don't like the fact that Kurt Hawkins is yet again going to be traded to another show and didn't have nothing done with him. You know, those kind of things. All right. So, so- go there. So we will see you next Thursday. Bye-bye. Uh, hey, before we, get, before we get out of here, Sal, do you want to give people your real Twitter address? At Russell. Bye-bye. Fucking good night. The Rundown Wrestling Podcast was created and subsequently abandoned by Adam Souser. And it's produced and edited by Jason Stewart with the help of a lot of caffeine. This episode was hosted by, by the combination of Jason Stewart, Sal DeChecka, and Trey Rosen. We are a member of the Questionable Endeavor Network. Check out all of our other shows, including the Slash Sanitarium, and sometimes our Scotch, the Shadow Bane Podcast, as well as the rest of the shows that don't plug us. And tune in next week for an all-new episode of the Rundown Wrestling Podcast, now with less runtime. <laughs> <laughs>